Hey there, Captain Fucking Awesome. This is Ineosh. Hey, Ineosh, this is Steven. Steven, why are you so fucking awesome today? It's not me. It's uh, the Abswith gave me this vibe. Um, ah. Captain Fucking Awesome. Actually, I think it was nothing like like the Abswith, which is hard to say. Um, he was a character in the Masks game that uh, um, Thomas led up, I don't know, dozen or so sessions for us last year during the Plague Gears. Cool. And was I, he... I, it was either that or Superman, but I already did Superman. So, Was he your character or was he someone else? No, he was an uh, NPC. Ah, okay. Basically leading the X-Men, um, but you got the vibe that there was more sinister stuff going on underneath. Cool. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a fun campaign. So, uh, what are we doing here in this place where we record each other and ourselves? That's right. Uh, we are here on the podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, discussing Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle. It is a wonderful web serial. We're having a great time going through it. If you like listening to us, you can uh, support us on Patreon, starting at $2 a month, very few dollars per month. Um, we love your support. We also give 15% of it back to Alexander Wales as well. And you can support him as well on his Patreon because he's the one writing this whole thing. And, you know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. That's right. Links to everything in the description, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. And always. Well, cool. All right. So we, before we start, you um, mentioned that we, well, you, so we had a conversation a few weeks ago uh, where I made the claim that it seems like most women don't really want to be dictator of earth. And uh, <laughs> you have an update on that. Yeah, we were talking dictators, Hitler, random stuff, um, World War Two, And I was like, ah, this is a good chance to get that, uh, to get another data point on this. So I'd asked if she'd ever wanted to be, if she would ever want to be dictator of earth. Who is this? And, she that we're talking about right now. Oh, my wife. Okay, cool. And, um, she was like, no, that sounds crazy stressful. And I, I think that <laughs> that was my answer to like, if say if Hitler ran the world rather than just ran Germany. Right. Mm -hmm. So that does sound stressful. Um, then I, so I, I decided, cause this was the, where we couldn't decide how people were interpreting the question. I said, okay, what if you could just be like a god and make your will reality? How, would you would you want to do that? And I got a less emphatic no, okay. but but still a no. So yeah. we have one more data point. Excellent. I should ask Charlie when she comes back. We need uh we need women in positions of power, including supreme ruler of Earth. So apparently, they just don't really want to be supreme rulers of Earth. Mate, you know, as long as we're going to be charitable, maybe there's maybe they're right i mean you and i both think we would do a good job well <laughs> and uh i think we would probably uh have some unforeseen circumstances you know un unforeseen fallout and yeah, maybe, maybe rachel's just thinking one step ahead and it's like nah fuck it up yeah screw that i'm just gonna jump straight to the part where i'm no longer a dictator without the whole coup and possible execution in between yeah but like if i was a genie for a day you know oh, yeah. i think i think i could get a lot of good done and even do so in a way that i would hope wouldn't ruin the world. Yeah, me you know, too. It would be a really big win for animals that day. Oh, um, uh, okay. It would like like there are things you could do in secret that wouldn't even have to change anything. You know, like say if an animal is being killed, and that can just be interpreted however the correct way is. They just get like a a rush of of uh, 
Morphine. I was gonna say morphine, but it would have to come from like somewhere not magic because I'd want it to be in, you know invisible, right? But mm-hmm. so, in some way, their pain receptors get turned off. So like animals are still ripping each other apart, but in their last seconds, it doesn't hurt. Like that's that's a small win, small net positive, and that wouldn't even be like I don't know. They're, the yeah, yeah. more out there you get, the the crazier it is. But um, we can't spend all day on that because this isn't a philosophizing podcast. No. Well, I mean, it sort of is, but we philosophize about things that Alexander Wales has written. That's right. Until he writes a uh, uh, God of Everything, Save the Animals chapter, then we'll have to save all that stuff. Yeah. So we got to wait until chapter 142. Perfect. <laughs> uh, we have from the audience in, a couple Chapter 142, in which, God, in which Dune is God of Everything. And saves all the animals. <laughs> because he was directed to by Ropey. Perfect. Uh, from the audience, The Butcher, uh, commenting at our website, hpmorpodcast.com, where you can do leave comments if you want, uh, pointed out that actually the the etymology of OK isn't necessarily quite that clear. Uh, the story that I gave is a common one, but also he points out that uh, German typesetters stamped OK on pages which contain no errors uh, that stood for Unkorrektur, meaning without correction. Uh, so it wasn't a misspelled version of all correct. Uh, it was German for Germans. He, uh, the butcher says, not sure whether this is the actual true origin of the widely used OK, but it has been shown that they actually stamp pages with OK way back in the day. Nice. So there's the thing. Yeah. I like it. Yes. So could be could be that I was spreading misinformation. Could just be one of those things that we will never really know for sure. Oh, that's OK. See, see then, what I did there? Oh, yeah, and see, it's such a common word I didn't even notice. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Uh, And then we have Old Wind Ways on our Discord, who has this to note. He says, on Falater's Nazi-ish past, with Nazi-ish in quotes, the more Stephen and Inyash emphasize his evil past, the more I feel driven to play devil's advocate and come to his defense. In a way, is he the fantasy equivalent of Werner von Braun? As a space nerd, I have a soft spot for that particular Nazi. How much do we know about his actual evil acts, and how much was him just getting caught up on the short end of the stick when the Second Empire collapsed? I don't think I'm a Falater apologist, but perhaps we are assuming a lot about him on the basis of having found him in a prison. How high is our confidence in him being a truly bad guy? Uh, I, I like the impulse towards devil's advocacy. I mean, he did soul rape everyone in the prison to be his loyal followers. Yeah, and, and as we find out in today's reading, I actually rape one of them. Yes, uh, in Old Wind Ways's defense, uh, they didn't know that at the time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he he seems like a not awesome dude. Yes, but you know it it could just be you know, like you know Quarrel is an asshole and evil, but he's also kind of awesome and in a way has the world's best interests at heart. Yeah, uh, and he also did. That's what made him so nuanced and and engaging. And in the Quirrell persona, he did a lot of good things. I mean, yeah. he also did some bad things, like killing Hermione. But, you know, you, you go overlook a few murders now and there. Yeah, and he did, he did some good things, like killing Rita Skeeter. <laughs> anyway. All right, anyways. Uh, um, did we have anything else to say about Falater and his possibly being a Nazi? And maybe we're just just overreading how into the whole Nazi stuff he was? I think that um, with the insights we got from this reading and just uh, a not insanely charitable version of reading through the past chapters. It's pretty clear he's a bad guy, but we might've been overplaying it until we got more data this, this reading. So, yeah. and, and you know what? I did Maybe make my he's... joke about 
Quirrell doing a good thing by killing Rita Skeeter that was interrupted by a, an off mic thing. So that's why I didn't get a laugh. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes. No, uh, no, no. Yep. I just wanted to make, just because in the in post edit, it'll sound like it just, you know, just landed poorly. So. Oh, yeah. No, that was, that was good. Good joke. Sorry. I couldn't react at the moment. Oh, no, you're good. All right. And um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he wasn't even like a Nazi. Maybe he wasn't down with all their Nazi stuff, but he was just bad in a totally different way that managed to jive i don't know yeah it's it's entirely possible he wasn't for all of their extermination nonsense and everything else they were up to but he could do whatever he wanted as long as he helped the the second empire so he's like well i'll do all my random kind of unmorally constrained science and uh you guys can do your your genocides (laughs) and uh everyone gets what they want except for everybody else it's slightly harder to defend him because, you know, Von Braun was a uh, rocket guy and rocketry doesn't necessarily have anything to do with hurting other humans or, or, or immoral acts, whereas soul fucking really specifically seems to be just bad in and of itself. So as a head researcher in soul fucking, I think that would still be bad, even if he was like, you know, Mr. Rogers and all other aspects of his life. I mean, if you squint, you could say like, well, soul magic helps cure bonitis and probably other ailments. Um, if somebody comes prob- to you with like extreme depression, you could probably fix it. You know, yeah, like that's, there, that's there, a good point. There are and probably some play- healing stuffs, but it doesn't seem like that's where he spent the bulk of his effort. And you know what? You know how we always say things like we wish we didn't have to send people to prison and we could just like make them better people um, with soul magic. Maybe you could actually do that. Just, you know cure them of being evil and make them into good, decent people. At least give them the option. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of options, we are low on options on how to deal with Valencia right now. That was that was all right. It's been that a long, was, it's been eh, a weird day. It was clunky. Yeah, it was clunky. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're seeing red in chapter 68. Mm-hmm. So we open up with June going down to the basement to chat with his soulless companion. And there was a funny line on the way down. He's thinking like, oh, man, it's great having two hands again. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me when he was stoked on being full of blood after <laughs> yeah. he got he almost bled out from the rats. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, man, imagine it'd be great to have extra blood. And I just imagined him saying, imagine how great it would feel to have all these extra hands. Oh, it's foreshadowing. Maybe he gets a third hand later. Yeah. Uh, unless it's four, I would hate to have extra hands, you know, like, oh, yeah, ace, having asymmetric hands. hands. Yeah, 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 you're right. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll lead us in a little more here. Um, okay. For reasons that confused me at first, uh, Valencia is in the dark with one slipper, and I had assumed that Fen was fucking with her by giving her a single piece of footwear. Um, it turns out that the demons threw her a slipper at the light switch so she could sit in the dark, unable to enjoy the books that they were nice enough to leave her. Although, I don't know if anyone oh. asked if she could read. Um, Anyway, she's setting up loyalty nine, which goes without saying, I was super curious how the game would handle twinned souls. You know, that's an interesting point about the slipper. I assumed that um, Folletaire or one of his goons had like turned out the light as they were leaving. uh, And then she threw the slipper to try to turn it on again. But I think your answer is far better because like the, I I imagine like a devil based on what we've seen uh, or a demon based on what we've seen earlier or later on in this chapter could hit the light switch with their own slipper. And, uh, and she, like, how would she throw a slipper to try to turn on the light in the dark? Like, I, I don't think she could if she wasn't possessed. So yeah, that's a darn good point. It was probably a demon. Well, and her, her reading on or her, her phrasing on, so he asks why is light turned off? And she says, I didn't. Sometimes when there's no one around, they're mean to me. Mostly they don't think I'm a person. 
and uh, yeah, that, yeah. that's super that's super ambiguous i assumed it meant follow turn and friends but uh a i doubt june is letting him come down here to poke with his new companion and uh b you're right like uh, i'm not sure what shape light switches are on arab but i'm assuming their switches like ours up up is on down is off in which case throwing a slipper at it would never turn it on unless you're whatever insanely good at slipper throwing <laughs> um, managed to curve it somehow right <laughs> put some english on the slipper make it curve up as it goes yeah so I, I assumed after on my second read that it was demons but um anyway they jump in and uh she just kind of so all right i'll just grab the quote it says do you love me she asked watching me with watery eyes uh, I said, taking half a step back, because I love you. You're so sweet and kind and understanding more than anyone has ever been in my life. And I keep worrying that I'm going to lose you. And that must be what love is. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, goth chicks, man. But <laughs> but joking aside, this is either heartbreaking or a demon fucking with us. It's and great. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to later on. Maybe it would have been fun to get a couple more chapters because I, w- I would have been really sick of like if they had to go on any adventures with her, wondering yeah. if she's possessed at that second or not. But it would have been interesting not knowing for things going forward, but yeah. I suspect we're going to be pretty sure if she's possessed later on. So I, yeah, I would, I, I think it would be like heartbreaking either way, you know, but um, man, I, God, when, when she said that, I like just really felt, I, I got the, the understanding of what Fen meant by June bait as in like, you know, this is just someone who is very, innocent and needs protection and is also a pretty girl and is just ah oh, it's wow man i feel i i the demons the devil is doing a really damn good job right there with fucking with june and with her i guess because i get the feeling she actually does feel those ways and was just smart enough not to say it out loud that's what the devil says she feels right right yeah so it the the, the devil confesses that it was actually a devil you know driving valencia right now mm-hmm. and then in presumably well, June takes it in stride. And then I think that annoys the devil. So he tries to start, he starts trying to undress Val, which yeah. is only made slightly less uncomfortable by the humor of it being handcuffed and not really able to manipulate her clothes. Yeah. So like it, it's, it's messed up, but at it's least so you, you get like a bit of like, <laughs> it's tr- like his hands are on like handcuffed to the radiator. It can't even like, you know, manip- it would look funny up until, you know, right when she's exposed and she doesn't want to be, but I just imagine it like trying to tie its shoes with one hand, like just looking ridiculous kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it doesn't even have to bother with shoes. It was just trying to like you know expose her, flash her because that's humiliating. Oh yeah. No, I just meant like the uh, and she's wearing slippers. I just I just meant the um like the the comedic imagery of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? For a demon to be able to take off her slipper and while her hands are handcuffed to a pipe throw it so it arcs just perfectly to tag the light switch off that is like a hell of a skill with with slipper throwing and it was its first try because it still yeah. had, she still had one slipper yeah like i starting this i'm starting to understand why thousands of years of training and killing somebody could make you dangerous even if you don't have a lot of muscle yeah you make a good point i mean she could just throw a pencil at you just the right angle and kill you with it right possibly i don't see why not i mean at the very least you know, I was thinking, all right, don't let her cook your food. Don't leave her unattended with, don't leave her unattended with anything you're going to eat. Don't give her scissors, etc. But I mean, it sounds like if you gave her, I'm looking around my room for any innocuous looking object. I don't know, power cable, but <laughs> they don't have those on air, but I don't think, but yeah, she seems, she seems pretty threatening. She might be able to kill you yeah. with a slipper. 
I hope. Um, yeah, and so this at this point, while it's you know doing the whole flashing June thing, uh, June says, "I had a decision to make about whether to whether or not to look away as it pulled up her dress." Basic Midwestern modesty demanded it, but that would let the devil know that I cared. And not just the current one, but all future ones. And on top of that, the real Valencia was aware of what was happening while she was possessed, and she would see me looking away and know that I was embarrassed or ashamed. Uh, Which is a good line of thinking on June's part. I don't know if I would have stopped to have those thoughts. Uh, Maybe that no high no sky skill is really kicking in, or or maybe just really as smart, Um, or much smarter than me anyway. Yeah, it hadn't even occurred to me that, like, you know, by looking away, he was, he'd was he be giving ammo to all the devils forever, and plus possibly hurting Valencia even more. I don't know how it would have hurt Valencia more, unless that was, you know, the, the devil started punching her in the face. No, well, because if, you, if you're doing something, if the devil's doing something to try to, like, humiliate you, and the person he's doing it in front of doesn't act like it's a humiliating act, then you don't feel as bad, right? Yeah. And I mean, I can't really project my state of mind onto her because she's had such an unfortunate upbringing. But if I was being possessed and someone was waving my uh, swimsuit area in front of people I didn't want to didn't want looking at it, I would hope that they would look away. And if they got an eyeful, I'd be like, damn it, I wish they had, you know, had the common courtesy not to stare. But maybe that's just me and my basic Midwestern modesty. Uh, I think that I think he made the right call because he doesn't want to he first of all he's super nonchalant about talking to a, de- a devil right mm-hmm. yeah. and second he like you said he doesn't want to give it any any ammunition and it's not like it could really do anything insanely actionable with the fact like aha he's uncomfortable looking at her uh naked when she doesn't want to be looked at naked but you know it's just like yeah man it's not working he he's he june goes on to like um i don't know uh well, I grabbed the quote here. He says, the, the problem is you're temporarily inhabiting a body that I know can sometimes house devils. And I know that the information coming from that body is sometimes inaccurate. So why should I listen? From a, from a strategic perspective, is it just that devils can't coordinate with each other? Is that why you don't make an effort to plan for the long term? And then uh, Valencia stopped exposing herself and the dress fell back down. She looked away from me, back toward the boiler. It left. It, I, they, don't like, they don't like the second guessing, I don't think. And my note at the time was either he dissed the devil's intelligence and it bailed or it's faking. And then yeah. I said, Val is always writing the suspects until they can work out this possession thing. Mm-hmm. And it turns out later that it was the devil faking again. Which is awesome. Yeah. Fucking those guys really good at their jobs. It makes you wonder. Well, makes me wonder if a devil can just jump in and take over because she has no soul and it's super easy why why do they even leave do they just get bored are there other people for them to go soul or go body jack or do they get tired yeah i mean i figured i'd just i'd probably do the closest i could to living a regular life and then just start killing people or something if i was a devil but yeah i don't know but they seem not to do that yeah well i'm sure we'll find out it's also just like this this devil's an asshole and i mean which is kind of par for the course of devils but uh i don't, I don't need to be a an expert on Arab to, to understand that devils are probably jerks, but waging war on hell seems like it's, uh, keeps climbing my priority list. Yeah. 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 Get that and fucking th- God hammer that Uther had <laughs> go smack some folks. That's right. Just smack every single demon with it. I don't see why that wouldn't work. I mean, maybe there's a lot of demons. There's 9,000 hells. 
<laughs> and over 9,000 demons per hell. So. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah, she she points out that, uh, she says, you don't believe me because I'm not even my own person, which seemed, I mean, it was particularly heartbreaking to hear that because, yeah, lots of times she's just this consciousness stuck in a body that something else is controlling. And God, that's got to suck. Yeah. I think there was a whole worm character about that, that, that had that interaction where it was two people sharing one body. Yeah. In uh, the sequel. And, and they weren't even like sp- specifically malicious and trying to um, make the other person as hurt as possible. Right? No, but it was just the horror of like, okay, well I'll take the back seat now. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, combine that with the fact that, I mean, she grew up in this prison we learn and, uh, I guess followed her as her biological father, and this is the nicest anyone's ever been to her is training her to a boiler and giving her slippers and a book, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's her whole thing's a bummer. Um, I'm the other thing about this line is you don't believe me because I'm not even my own person. You know, I get it. She doesn't have Grax like super down to earth sensibilities because how, how could she possibly be expected to have that? Mm-hmm. And yet it's like, of, of course, I can't believe you. You know why I can't believe you. Come on. So yeah. I, I don't know how, because I've never known when we're talking with Valencia, so I don't yeah. know how, how smart she is or how savvy she is with these sorts of things, but I assume that she under she wouldn't be um, indignant with somebody for saying, oh, you don't believe me. It's like, well, of course I don't. It's, not, it's nothing personal. It's just that you don't have a soul and you're constantly possessed, or more or less and constantly. Cra- and the crazy thing is that like she is actually possessed by a devil right now as we're, as we're reading this, so... Yeah, those those fuckers are really good at pretending to be people. It must. I mean, if if it can read her entire um, history, right? Apparently, it doesn't have to take time to sort through memories. It just gets them. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just going to be a matter of pretending to be her, whoever she is, for as long as it wants until it starts doing devil stuff. Yeah. So she she does ask like, why do you care about me? And I, it's the devil asking. I guess maybe to get inf- devil information to hurt people more uh but june thinks to himself the true answer was probably that i was being manipulated by a game that knew which buttons to press in order to get me to care i cared more about her because she was clearly young and more because she was a girl as fucked up as that might have been from a gender politics standpoint and since we're talking about philosophy stuff that alexander wales has written i pulled this out um do you think this is a cultural thing or an innate thing because I think the valuing people who are younger is probably an innate thing, since in general, uh, older people have more worn down bodies and less additional time to live. So it would make sense to value younger people more in order to keep the tribe uh, healthier, going longer, and the species in general. And uh, But I'm not sure about the female part. I think that part might be cultural, because... I I know our culture really values females a lot more than males, but maybe I mean I've I've heard of um like in Chinese culture where when they had the one child policy, they would generally not generally, but it was not uncommon to have uh female fetuses aborted because the male fetuses were more desirable. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of that is like um cultural. I, well I think that I mean that's uh because I, I took it from a different perspective, but that's, that's a really good counterexample. I mean, I don't know if like in cultures where they're, you know, people prefer sons, if that's because uh, of a long history of nonsense about, well, men inherit the power because they're bigger and stronger and can, t- you know, physically take it. So my first son gets my fiefdom and 
if I have a if I have a daughter, then I've got to pay a dowry, etc. Um, so yeah, I suppose that comes and goes to the culture. Uh, I wonder, like even in say whatever terrible medieval place where women are third class citizens, you know, if you see a, a drowning twelve um, year old girl and a drowning twelve year old boy, which one someone would save? Yeah. And that's where I think like the innate part would come in and be like, well, you know, women propagate the species. We need more of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, luckily, I well, I was going to say something about luckily I can't do that science science experiment, but I don't, wouldn't even want to. So, yeah, I think we tend to want to like rescue and help cute things more, which is why we you know like domesticated animals and fall in love with them so much, and we tend to like puppies and kittens more than grown uh, dogs and cats and. I don't know. I think just younger people are also cuter. Children are definitely cuter. And I think in general, even adult women are cuter than adult men for the most part. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? Is this my maleness talking? That might be your heteroness talking. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, You know, it it depends. Like, uh, again, it's been a really slow pandemic, but there was apparently this TV show called The the Dating Show, The Dating Game, where... Mm. You know, somebody stands behind or sits behind a curtain, and then they've got three people on the other side of a curtain that they're asking questions to. And at the end, they get to go on a date with whichever one they pick. Well, there's a version of that with um, like celebrities, and they're all like distant C or D level celebrities, but it's hosted by Michael Bolton and Zoe Deschanel. And oh, cool. I bring all that up because Zoe Deschanel is adorable. Yeah. And like in, in a way that she's fully aware of too. She's just an adorable little person. And, uh, right. Then that said, the other co-host, Michael Bolton, I, I I think he might be past his cute era, but even in the 90s, he wasn't exactly cute. Um, I, I don't yeah, think I'd call him more adorable. Like, more like handsome, maybe dashing. Yeah, but that said, he's also uh, a great beat on this show. Like, I, I don't know how bored anyone is, but uh, as long as I'm uh, shilling from Michael Bolton, everyone needs to watch his um, Valentine's Day Christmas special on Netflix. A Valentine's I think Day I've, Christmas special? Yeah, I forget which one it is. Oh, it's it's kind of both. I think it comes out on Valentine's Day. So, all right. I, I tell you what, just just everyone watch it rather than me me pitch it. And I, you, that's you included in Yash. You'll love it. You and Charlie will have a great laugh. Okay. He basically I will look he, it up. He plays the person that he plays in the Lonely Island, the um, Jack Sparrow Lonely <laughs> Island song. That, I was just thinking of that just now. He basically plays that person my... the entire time. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah, it, it's all just, it's, it's basically like an hour long SNL sketch. It's really, really funny. All right. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Oh, yeah. So again, the why do you care about me thing? And um, yeah, basically oh, yes. his, it's hard to ignore people that are right in front of you, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, he, he says yeah, that the most important thing was probably that she was right in front of me, but I didn't think that I was good enough at the social stuff to say any of that in a way that would come across well, uh, because you're here in front of me activating pathos with no one else in the world who cares for you. Um, that just <laughs> reminded me, uh, they, I, I like in general, we try to get around that sort of thing. We have the whole shut up and multiply um, idea, and uh, we we try to advocate for effective altruism, which often says, you know, send your money overseas because that's where we can help the most people per dollar. Uh, did you know there's people out there who really despise the effective altruism movement specifically because they place equal value on far people and near people? Like, I, like they, they say you are spending money on people overseas when there's Americans here that are homeless. Like, how dare you? And it's like, for the same amount of money it takes to house one person here for one month, I can save like four children's lives in Africa. And 
and like they see, say, they see, this is exactly the cold, heartless reason way you guys think, which is why effective altruists are such bullshit, you know, not actual com- compassionate people. I'm like, holy fuck, what's wrong with these people? Yeah, I've I've heard of such creatures, but I've, I don't know if such beings are actually real or if they just exist as mere memes on the nasty corners of the internet. Um, mm. I'm I'm kidding. I mean, I know, there are people of like, you know, let's solve our own problems first before we start helping the world, which is one um, bad argument against EA. And the other one, I think is just like this, like indignancy of, uh, I don't know if you've ever like tried to articulate singers, kid in a drowning pond argument to somebody. They, they, you, they, including me, when I first was, was exposed to it, usually get pretty indignant. Um, it's like, well, you know, come on, I want to buy a coffee once in a while. I, you know, buy a TV, you know, treat myself. Why should I live like a monk? You know, just just because I have stuff and other people don't. Um, luckily, the well, I mean, the, the the moral conclusion of the of Singer's version anyway is that you should live like a monk and donate basically everything you don't need. But I'm a big fan of like doing good on a spectrum. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you do good and you can do better, but good is a lot better than nothing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that's that's basically how EA people operate. You know, yeah, the only person I've ever heard of, and I'm sure there's plenty, but um, Will McCaskill is currently like the the main leading figure in the EA uh, philosophy circles, and um, he lives on I think like thirty seven thousand euros a year, and everything else goes to charity. And he's a um, tenured professor at Oxford. Yeah, I, I think if everyone tried to do that, the world would probably you know cease to function very well. Uh, so I don't think it's very realistic, but I really, really like Scott Alexander's post on this subject where he advocates for everyone just to give 10%. And, uh, he points out that if everyone did that, we could solve, um, poverty in the course of, I think it was two years, solve all world poverty and start knocking out, uh, major diseases at a rate of one or two per year. And it was like, it was just amazing the amount of stuff we could do and uh if everyone did that so he says if you're giving 10 percent per year you are more than pulling your weight you're a good person stop sweating it uh, you're fine so that is i i don't give quite 10 percent a year uh but whenever anyone tries to you know hit me with that why don't you give everything and live in poverty if you're such a utilitarian i'm like well here's the uh, scott alexander argument about why you should stop at 10 percent and stop trying to reduce everybody to poverty and uh i'm gonna go with that one yeah i to be clear that that i haven't seen that position seriously articulated since like 1975 when singer wrote um famine affluence and morality i think it was like an essay in maybe the New Yorker or New York times or something. But for the most part, he's not arguing that everyone should live like a monk. He's, he's saying this is where like morality seems to argue that we should stop, but do something, you know? So he wrote like, um, the life you can save, which has the giving what you can pledge. And I think that it goes up to a third of your income, but only for making over a million dollars. Okay. And so, you know, I think that if you're, if you're, if you're that wealthy, you can probably afford to to live on a mere six hundred sixty six thousand dollars a year, but anyway, uh, yeah, people who don't like EA are weird. I mean, yeah, at least for those reasons, there might be some more articulate ones for it. You know, like I give money to effective charities, self shameless plug, whatever. But like, I don't get any warm fuzzies out of it, and it's if I take a minute to reflect on it, sure. But I don't even get like 
email alerts. I just set it up automatically to do it every month. And mm-hmm. so it's you know one good reason to give locally is that you know if I give ten bucks to a homeless person at a stoplight, you know I could see the person receiving it and know that they'll be better off, right? Mm-hmm. Having an auto draft out of my out of my checking account or out of my uh, credit card doesn't doesn't give me any of that psycho- psychological psychological feedback. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, the the thing I've heard is that since you're not acting like the person right in front of you is activating pathos, you're a heartless monster. So yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking yes, of heartless monsters. Yeah. Oh boy. So apparently, um, I forget the lead up for this, but um, it's about, uh, well, uh, Val's talking about her, her parents and she says, my mom was in prison with him, uh, Folliter. He changed her to be like him as much as he could, then got her pregnant. And uh, she says this, well, I was going to say she says this kind of calmly and matter of fact, but um, she's not talking. So I guess I can only be pretty sure that this is true. But in any case, I'm assuming it is. And my inclination to kill Grindel, or kill Grindelwald, um, I keep calling him that, to kill Folliter just went up. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if, like, he, he definitely did this probably as a science experiment, right? Like, I want a soulless person to mess with their soul or lack thereof to get a better understanding of, of souls. And yeah. so he definitely did this on purpose. I don't know if he can unsoul a fetus right when it's fertilized or if he ruined his sperm to make soulless babies or something. But it's uh, that, that's that's messed up. Yeah, it totally is. June, yeah, also thinks that's messed up. Uh, he thinks that uh, his ideal is that children should be an expression of love between two people. And he says, the closest that you can get to, and then he doesn't say it loud, but he thinks, mingling your souls. And like, I thought it was kind of strange that he would think that, given that he knew his parents. And he says, he said a few times that he did not have a happy life, that uh, the parents fought a lot. And it, it's, I don't know. I know my parents. I, I've met other people's children. Like kids are nothing at all. Like mingling the souls of the two parents. Like they, they take after them, sure, in genes, but like calling it a soul mingling feels like just way off. Like the crappiest excuse for hive mind tech that I can imagine. Because when <laughs> I think of mingling souls, I think of like things you read in sci-fi books when two people really in love basically do the hive mind thing with each other. I mean, the difference between what parents are to kids and what they should be. You know, he says the ideal as he sees it is this kind of soul mingling business, right? That might not have been his upbringing or almost anyone's upbringing, but mm. it, it it could be still the ideal. Um, it just seems such a weird way to 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 phrase, you know, bringing in a new person into the world who has a lot of genes from both of us. Like that's, yeah, that's not soul mingling. I agree. I mean, he's got soul stuff on the mind. Maybe that's partly why he's thinking that, and also he's responding to this horrible fact probably fact about her background and so he's not like he, he could just say oh you know that sucks usually kids come around and parents forget to use protection or get bored and want kids like yeah. I, I think he's trying to think of something nice to say mm-hmm. and this is just kind of how it came out you know like a a very um like harry james potter evans Vera's version of like well when a mommy and daddy love each other very much um, but he didn't say mingling your souls out loud. He thought that part to himself. Yeah, I think that um, he didn't want to like. Uh, Maybe I'm just like overly unemotional about it because I've never really wanted kids that much, and 
you know, so it strikes me as like a weird way to think about it. And like actual parents are going to write in and be like, no, that's totally what it's like. That's that's what you feel like as a parent, even if you know it's not true or something. It could be. I think that if I were to want kids, it'd be less about like, oh, I want, you know, mine and my wife's soul to, to mingle into this new being. It'd be more like, hey, I think we'd be awesome at making an even better version of ourselves if we put some effort into it. And, you know, if the fallout of that is soul mingling, then whatever. But it's more just about like making a a new person that you feel like it could be the best version of you that you would, you know, could have the life that you wish you could have had or something. I've always been kind of partial to if they ever perfect the technology for it, like maybe making a clone of myself and trying to raise them. Cause I mean, I think my parents did a decent enough job considering their limitations and what they had to work with, but I think I could do a much better job of raising me than my parents did. And I kind of want to give it a shot. That's interesting. I don't know if I would do anything like a good job raising myself. No. I I mean, on the one hand, this gets us pretty far afield, but I'm kind of neurotic when it comes to like the safety of things I care about. And I was a very reckless child. Um, you could lock yourself up and put a football helmet on your head at all times? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, even stories of things that's too young to remember, and some of the stuff I do remember was, was dumb, but like, apparently at some point, and this is my parents' fault for leaving them accessible, but my brother and I, my dad was like apparently walking by our bedroom and he could hear like metal clanging noises. And he opens the door and we're sword fighting with kitchen knives or with nice. like with uh with whatever steak knives, like the the ones that we could have killed each other with on accident. Yeah. And you know, he's like, What are you guys doing? And apparently we're we said playing hook. Um <laughs> and so I mean, if I walked in on that, I would have I mean, I would just be constantly concerned. Do you ever see that Black Mirror episode, uh, Archangel? Maybe what happens in it? I think it was season four, right? When things started getting less awesome for that show. But it was uh, basically child monitoring implant. I think I stopped watching after season three. I may have seen one episode of season four, but that one doesn't sound familiar. Uh, There's a couple of good episodes in season four. But that was uh, basically, I would want that, even though it obviously goes terribly in um, Black Mirror. I would want to be able to check in and be like, oh, good, they're still alive. Okay, good, they're safe. Like, I, I I, wouldn't, you know, like, we've got a cat. And there are people I have outdoor cats and that come and go. I, I could never have that. I would never be calm while she's out of the house. Huh. And it, that's just a cat, right? Yeah. yeah. I'd, be like, I'd be like, what if she's hurt? What if, what if she's in pain right now and I can't find her? I mean, I, I, I would sit there and circle on these thoughts all day. So, Do you ever not know where Rachel is? Uh, I mean, sure, but I mean, she's also, she, she knows how to work a cell phone. Okay. Yeah. You know, we, we, I mean, I, I, I don't think this is a life, uh, ruining level of neuroticism. It's just like, I, well, it might not ruin your life, but your kids would be upset. Right. So <laughs> thus they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That, that's not the only reason, but it's, it's in no small part due to that. That I I don't think I I would take me a long time to at least brace myself for the reality of like okay your kid will probably be fine you can relax yeah so well maybe maybe eventually once once they get to the level of technology where you can have archangel stuff eh, maybe. yeah maybe the, the other thing the the majority of the reason is that it sounds like a lot of work and yeah. I don't really want to <laughs> right <laughs> and neither does Rachel like we're on the same page about you know. It's See, awesome, it's awesome say, getting sleep and not having shit under your fingernails and changing diapers. And uh, I was about to say you should do the whole like unschooling thing that Wes is doing, and that's advocated by um 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 
God, his name, does the ever coming bias block? Robin Hansen and uh, and his friends. But like, on the other hand, there is the first three years or so, which are definitely a ton of work uh, regardless. And also it sounds like you couldn't do that because of the whole neuroticism thing. Yeah, I mean, if they're home all the time, I could keep an eye on them. And I don't want to overplay the neuroticism bit. And then I want to move on because we've still got podcasts to discuss. But um, <laughs> we haven't even finished the first chapter. Yeah, we'll, we'll save it. Um, okay. All right. So speaking of our innocuous chit chat, that's kind of how the rest of the chapter goes, um, or most of it. So, or I guess a middle chunk. June is just making safe chit chat with uh, Val, which is kind of actually really cool. Um, I doubt that she's ever made small talk or just learned random facts about a person. So he's just talking about like who did the cooking on Thanksgiving and random other childhood stories that don't talk about anything of any consequence to devils or anybody. Yeah. And I think that that's uh, a really nice gesture. I mean, he could have just left or, or, you know, he could have brought her a sandwich and she would have got to loyalty 10, right? Like he wasn't just down here trying to get loyalty. He was down here trying to be nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's on his way out or, no, no, it was, um, he had said, oh, well, I guess we'll do this again and uh, maybe make some headway then. Because uh, after all this ta- this chit chat, she's like, do you really like me? And he's just like, shrug. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know you. I don't even know if it's you, but I think we can make this work. And and she says, well, until you're finished with voluntary. And he's like, oh, no, no, I had intended to take you into my care, which I like how uh, adult that sounds. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, she gets loyalty to level 14. And Five points in one jump. I know. Um, companion passive unlocked, unknown reference error, consulting, rebooting, loyalty increased, Valencia the Red, level 14. Companion passive unlocked, infernal capture. Ho-ho! Yes. So, I thought that was fun. I don't think, as Fen jokes later, or maybe doesn't joke, that, like, the world reset to accommodate this error. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still think that the reference errors with her... You know, if this is an amalgamation of programs written by different people who aren't coordinating with each other, then I, it might make sense. But if this is the work of one one super DM, then, you know, if you write buggy software, it just breaks and it doesn't. And then you got to reboot it. No, no. I mean, like the, the null pointer thing. I, I still think that was a joke oh, the whole uh, time. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I could imagine this just be a, a running part of the joke. You know, I, like, I don't think that the game really went on pause here while someone's phone alert went off with page of duty so they could jump on and fix the game that crashed because the the soulless companion got up to too much loyalty and the game was actually on pause for like a week while they put this fire out, right? Yeah, well, the, I mean, the thing is, yeah, he wouldn't have to do it immediately. He could be like, okay, pause game. When I get home from work, I'll take care of it um, or whatever, you know, far future s- simulator people do. and. Uh, and like, in theory, they could have been on pause for ages and it would have felt like no time at all had passed for them, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it could have been. Um, I, I, My current guess is that that's not how this worked. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was just a a joke. I, I it, it could be. I mean, somewhere else in my notes, I pull out the fact that I still think that all of this uh, game shenanigans about oh we're rebooting and we're uh oh we've got a whoopsie daisy you're too smart we got to change that um mm-hmm. i still think those are are mainly jokes but the the smart thing the the knowledge thing in particular for back when he was first messing with his character sheet um that is the main piece of counter evidence is that he was apparently super smart 
for like the course of an hour until the game until he put too much point too many points into knowledge. Yeah. So that is the main counterexample, but I I didn't lose any sleep over the consulting rebooting stuff, you know. Yeah. I I it just doesn't I don't see how that could possibly have happened if you're if you're making it, if you're running a game, you know, unless you're leaving it unattended for long enough for him to meet Val and get all the way to loyalty level 14, yeah. you know, what would have happened in the meantime while you're someone's playing this, right? You know, it unless it's just running on a simulation with no one watching it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like he had to go run to the bathroom or something, but then I guess he could have paused it before he ran to the bathroom. Well, and like the up until uh, like while it's leading to get to loyalty 10, you know, you're, you're aware, Oh, there'll be a perk about her soul coming up in, in at loyalty 10, right? Maybe it was just, you know, the person DM, whatever is playing the game. And then it, you know, tries to look up her perk and it doesn't find anything because the the null pointer exception so it consults him it pops up a little box saying like hey uh what doing and then the dm is like ah crap puts down the controller does a bit of hacking googles how to fix this and then you know patches it and then reboots and goes on playing the whole thing might have only taken 15 20 minutes who knows yeah and in in on arab that would have been a second right i think the maybe it was kind of like the negotiation with so I, this is actually the first week I didn't, uh, or in a long time, I haven't, I listened to only like 40 minutes of uh, our last episode. I had a busy last couple of days, but we talked about um, the the D&D thing of the custom skill where yeah. it's like, hey, DM, I want to do a, a character that can do whatever. Can we make a skill for that? So maybe this was kind of like pressing pause. Hey, hold on. I want to make a companion with no soul. And the DMs, you know, whatever version of how this is working is like, well, we usually we do all these, you know, things that involve soul stuff. And I was like, ah, you know, let's just try it anyway. And then they get there and it's like, well, shit, you're supposed to have a perk at 10. Okay, hold on. Let's let's make up a new rule for this. And yeah. it kind of strikes me like that. Okay. But yeah, I, I still don't think that the world did a hard reset. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because this is the other thing is that there's no reason to expose that to June. That's, that's why I think it's a like, for, it's true. For it humor. could be hidden from him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you, you would make an actual effort to show him that level, like, you know, errors. Yeah. Right? You just wanted to play yeah, the game. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But I guess you're you're leaking some kind of information to him. It did. I mean, it changed it from null pointer exception to uh, Valencia the Red. So maybe it's like, hey, here's an acknowledgement of something has changed in the code. Yeah. I mean... That might have been sufficient on its own, right? But you wouldn't be like, oh, error, hold on. You know, let me look up the manual. Okay, rebooting. Uh, yeah. It that That's why I just think it might be a sense of humor thing. But maybe if yeah. you have the game layer, it just pops up every notification to June. You know, they don't they don't tag their logs really well. And he just gets everything that uh, jumps up as a, is marked as a notification. Yeah. Um, anyway, what is Infernal <laughs> Capture? Until recently, she was subject to repeated possessions by demons and devils at random intervals. But now, touched by your magic, she has become something to be feared for much different reasons than she was before. She is nearly a newborn in some ways, trying to find her feet. Yes. Oh, no, wait, that might have been, that wasn't uh, Infernal Capture. That was her bio, right? Oh, um. I think that was her bio. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so, um, Infernal Capture. Valencia is a loyal companion, now properly part of your Karas. Though she's still, though she is still without a soul, the non-anima is grasping, reaching, 
Grasping, reaching, and unnatural constructs trying to find its way in the world, power has, for the first time in her life, found its way into her hands. So it doesn't actually tell us what it does. It tells us absolutely nothing. (laughs) It does sound like she can capture Infernals, though, based on the name and based on what she tells June, where now she is controlling it, even instead of it controlling her. Yeah. And the the main, you know, because again, this could just be more devil fuckery, right? But the main thing that is hugely surprising and, and evidence for something cool is that she's, after this happens, she looks at her hands and she says, what just happened? And he's, what do you mean? Did something happen? And um, like, she she was aware of the change. Yeah. Right? She yeah. and or the devil. Um, it's just, uh, so there's something significant happened and there's no level of like, oh, this is possession fuckery just messing with you kind of thing. Right? Yeah. The really interesting <laughs> thing, though, is that um, not only does she like know that something changed, but uh, when he tries to lie about it and say he doesn't know what's going on she can tell that not only does he know that something happened but he was uh in some way responsible for it happening and she can tell that like i guess just from his facial expressions and or body language and then uh when she uh when he says that you know he'll be back she says or you're going to come back for me you're going to kill falater once he's shown you what he knows uh and and he says, you're saying it like you know it for a fact. And she's like, yeah, it's written on you. Is this what it's like for a devil to see people? So I don't know. I, I think that's like a really cool and powerful ability that devils have to like read people so precisely that it's almost like telepathy, you know? And yeah. I want that power. <laughs> There's a couple of significant things with this. One is that the devil inside her right now, assuming it ever gets to leave and she doesn't kill it or something, um, mm-hmm. is going to go off and tell all its devil buddies that something significant happened with this person, Juniper Smith. And, mm-hmm. you know, for all we know, this is the kind of thing that happened in Uther Pendrag's day. And the devils will remember yeah. that. And this, this sounds like the kind of thing that they're going to run off and tell all their buddies in hell about. Um, yeah. And I, I do like how she can read him like a book and he can't read her soul because she doesn't have one. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nice to, it's a change up to that like narrative or to, to change up in that narrative to that unbalance of him being able to read Fen and Amaryllis's soul, but not vice versa. Now there's a person who can read him completely uh, and he can't check her stuff at all. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it'll be, it, if we're, if we're going to change out the fun of her being possessed or not, which again, I think would have gotten old pretty fast. Um, mm-hmm. This will be a new thing. It's like, damn, she, you know, I can't keep anything from this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. So uh, before he goes, he does ask if... Oh, wait, uh, Gra- sorry. I yeah, just thought of one more thing. Uh-huh. I'm assuming that, because this just occurred to me, The um, she says, it's written all over you, I can tell. Yeah. I don't think that's how devils, when they're usually possessing her, can see the people around her. Oh, you don't I, think so? Because, like, she's reading his intentions. You know, mm-hmm. it, th- this is basically almost mind reading. Yeah. And if if a devil could read someone's mind, it would know everything that there is to know if it got near Amaryllis, right? Yeah, well, or at least everything that they're like thinking on at the moment, because you can like scan their mind, but you could tell whatever they're thinking through body language and voice pitch and whatever. Maybe, and maybe that's part of the threat of having uh, a non-anima nearby. Yeah, is that look? Maybe that's why they always. 
Yeah, it can read all my thoughts that I'm having at the time, or basically, you know, all my thoughts that I'm having right now. And we don't want that being public to the devils. So, okay, I was I was thinking that this might be a, a new power on top of what devils usually get. Like she was reading June, like she is usually being read by devils. Oh well, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe he does check her character sheet, or he does check his to see if he can find her soul, and she still she still doesn't have one. Um, yeah. And he didn't see like. I don't know, a little devil hovering over his character sheet looking at his soul, right? <laughs> right. I would like to think that if he was being soul observed, that there'd be some notification on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for letting me word vomit that out. <laughs> yeah, no worries. That was interesting. Uh, he So before he goes, he does ask, was Grack touched? And Valencia says, yes. Uh, I was possessed when I told the truth, but it is the truth. So uh, when I read that, I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Because it upped my probability that Grack was actually fucked with even higher. Like, at least 50-50 at this point. I don't know. What are, what are you thinking? Yeah, over 50 for me. It seems pretty likely. I mean, on the one hand, we still got to be vigilant. There's devil mischief involved. But mm-hmm. this is more convincing than anything she said before her loyalty level up. And I'm kind of inclined to take her word for it. But I might be naively trusting. I don't know. Like... I've never been more confident that Grack was indeed compromised. Um, The game says that until recently she was subject to possession, which implies that uh, she's not. um, Yeah, I mean, she's she's still possessed. She even says that, but she's not like uh, overtaken by it. Right. She's in control now. Yeah. Any devil who has the misfortune to try and possess her is fucked. (laughs) Exactly. And so I think that she's driving, which means that either she's telling a lie to try and. whatever manipulate june for some reason which is why i'm not like super confident that grack is is uh compromised but it's it's definitely more likely than it was an hour ago to me um the other thing that i'm that just kind of keeps me on the fence about it is you know so i can look at your list of values you know how do i tweak those knobs in such a way that leaves you exactly like you except now you're super loyal to me and will do my bidding whenever i ask it like i Maybe if I'm an expert at manipulating souls, that's the kind of thing you you get good at. Yeah. But, you know, you think that they're sitting there shitting on Falater, you know, when he's not around. Like, yeah, this guy, you know, I don't think they float the idea of killing him right in front of Grack, but they're not a fan. You know, yeah. if, if my loyalty to Falater was the most important thing in my life now, I might be inclined to say, well, hold on, guys. He's not that bad. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. So I, I guess I just don't know what you could do, what what value knobs you could turn to leave a person exactly as sensible and calm as they were, but also a perfect liar and double agent. Yeah, I mean, because Greg doesn't seem doesn't feel like he's changed. Right, his values all seem like he's doing the same thing. Um, it's it would have to be really subtle. Yeah. So that said, uh, subtle seems like the name of the game if you're really really good at this. So yeah, I don't know that. Okay, last thought on this. Um, June later messes with the dial on his uh, his value for leveling up. And like mm-hmm. it starts moving back immediately. Yeah. And so granted, maybe it will take a few hours or a few days or something. But it looks like, all right, we'll keep Greg Crack away from Volator for a while. And we should be in good shape here. Yeah. Yeah. At, at, at least, uh, yeah. They confirmed that it really does revert over time. So if nothing else, they have a, a way to just keep Grack isolated and it should go it they'll be safe eventually give it a week or two or whatever i mean i would still think that even once once he passed some threshold uh his he might say hey you guys uh i'm now aware of the fact that how 
odd it is that I'm really big fan of Volatile right now. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm compromised. Right. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, there was well, a last... nothing else. I'm glad that they were taking those precautions. Totally. And again, it's just the thing of like, if I was soul manipulating somebody to be my double agent, I would maybe make them a little less cool with being uh, sequestered from the person I'm trying to spy on. Mm-hmm. You know, he, Grack didn't put up a fight whatsoever. Um, it yeah. was perfectly in character for him, which might be more important for the ruse, but that's like a long con kind of thing. Yeah. Unless he's meeting out with you every night to let you keep manipulating his soul, then this is going to wear off. But um, there was a last bit thing. So he asks why she lied and uh, about the um, uh, about Grack when she asked him in person. And uh, she had said um, he knew that you wouldn't know if, if the devil slipped it out. Like, I think... Um, Something about, well, I was afraid what you would do. And he said that he being Folliter said that no one would ever actually really care about me if they came to try and rescue me or something that, you know, he, he basically ruined her against all hope of being saved by anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, and he knew that you wouldn't know if the devils let it slip out. What was the truth and what wasn't? It was he had such plans to go against them. So she's like talking in a rush. But this sounds like. Falter had plans to go against the devils? Uh, I think you dropped a word there. It says he had, she says he had such plans and to go against them. In, in my reading, it means that. Oh, and to go against them. Yeah, okay. Yep. I can't yeah, read. She was That's... scared to go against his plans. Okay. Yeah. To go against them meant the whip or yeah, whatever yeah. the, well, yeah, I was going to say whatever the soul equivalent of that is, but she doesn't have one. So yeah, it probably was just the back of his hand. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I read that, I re- went back and reread it, put it in the notes, and I still didn't read the whole sentence. In my defense, there's three or four commas in this sentence, and she's talking in a rush. It was a, a very rush. long run on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. And and is one of those words that's really easy to sometimes slip. And once you have a reading in your mind, like, no one reads every single word of every sentence. There's some interpolating we do when we're reading. So once you have that reading in your mind, it'd be really easy to drop that and. Yeah. Okay, well, good. Thanks for clearing that up. Because when I read that, I was like, damn. My inclination to kill him just went down. And now that it just seems like he was just threatening her and it wasn't actually planned to go against the devil. It's great. I'm still super on board with killing him now. <laughs> well, let's go to chapter 69 where they actually don't talk about killing him, but, you know, maybe they should. Yeah. Uh, so chapter nine in mutual Congress, the gang is heading out to Parsmont and Amy and Grack hop out to teleport to put the jar somewhere safe for a while. And June and Finn have a relationship talk. That's right. That's the first third or so of this chapter. Yes. And as they, before they split up with uh, Amaryllis and Grack, uh, it, it's pointed out that Ropey technically belongs to Amaryllis and she could compel him to lie, which I, I didn't realize. Apparently sentient entads can have their will usurped by their owners at any moment, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Uh, it's, I would feel really bad about it, except I don't think Ropey has like, an internal i mean there's something it's like to be ropey right yeah because he can he can follow orders and he can do stuff and it seems like you know he said sorry when he wasn't able to help with june maybe getting his hand cut off or something um Mm -hmm. but oh yeah it was when his arm almost got ripped off by um larkspur that was awesome right but like i don't i think i'm i'm okay at modeling but not okay at explaining my model of non-human minds you know, to a certain extent outside of my own mind. And mm-hmm. I don't really feel like it's a bad thing for his will to be usurped by, by his owner. Cause I don't 
he doesn't have the same kinds of things that we do, right? I I guess. I don't know. What if Amaryllis were to force Ropey to choke June to death? They seem to have sort of developed kind of a friendship, sort of. I don't know if Ropey has that or not. Like the friendship part. I think he'd just be like, well, you I mean, pet Jamie. Of, I mean I kind of think I kind of think of Ropey so, you know, almost sort of like as a dog that has some English skills capabilities. And um and a dog can make friends with humans. And I guess like if Drake were to order Arya to kill me, maybe <laughs> she would. I, I have no idea. I don't think she's actually that well trained, but I, I would like to think she'd at least feel bad about it and maybe <laughs> not do it. Yeah, I, I think part of me views Ropey like a like a diminished version of a dog where it doesn't have the kind of anything like a loyalty thing. But I have no idea on, you know, I, what it does amount to, though, is that uh, she can make him lie, uh, yeah. which I guess means he has natural inclina- inclination to be honest, which, of course, he does. Yeah, he, he's a strong, he's rope ever. yeah, he's a strong, independent, gold, eternal golden braid. You don't need no man or princess. Damn, damn tootin'. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, this is the part where Fen calls Valencia June bait, which I just absolutely feel. Um, and that is just like pretty maiden in distress. Yeah, I think not just. I mean, yes, but not just maiden in distress, but specifically like the wide-eyed, you know, anime kind of chibi girl that is <laughs> helpless and is like, "Please help me!" And like, you, know, the eyes are all watery and just so adorable and you're like oh my god i have to help her and you know also also kind of hot even though you're not really thinking of her in that way because that'd be weird but also kind of like I, it just it, it totally makes sense i i'm i'm absolutely on june's side here with this being good bait if there were like a bunch of cases of june helping people like that and not helping people not like that that'd be one thing i feel like fan's jumping the gun here and also i don't think there's anything you know cute about uh val's you know, wide watery eyes. If they're beat, you know, if they're blood red on her skeletally pale figure, you know, like she looks haunting, you know, this is like you, you watch a movie with a, with a exorcism involved and she looks like the person being exercised, but I, su- I suppose maybe a little less, uh, you know, projectile vomit or something, but uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe that's one of the things the devils can do. Yeah. 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 I, I, I hear what you're saying though. Um, Ooh, maybe that's another weapon demons have, like <laughs> spitting acid from the stomach into your face. Acid spit. Yeah, exactly. All right. I didn't pull up much on this relationship talk here that they have, not because I didn't find literally any of it interesting, but I just, uh, I did pull out one thing, which was not relationship stuff. She snaps her fingers and she can get a fire going. She's already a blood mage and a bone mage, apparently. Mm-hmm. So that's super exciting. Yeah. So she will also be a soul mage, if not like by the end of next reading, the next time they get a chance to catch their breath. Um, yeah, eventually. I mean, I think I think sooner rather than later. You know, at the end of this, uh, she teaches them soul magic. Yes. Right? So yeah, she does. I think that the minute that she gets a chance to try and meditate on it, she'll be able to do it too. Cool. I'm looking forward to, yeah, having having two multi-mages kick an ass. Man, that'll be awesome. And then, so they, need, then, they, the- then they need to test in a field how far away close is by terms of the game. Or like near right. each other, whatever it is. And they're like, okay, perfect. It is 69 meters, right? It, I mean, I think they were quite a bit further away than that when um, when Amaryllis warped away while he was uh, still in prison, right? With Valater? Yeah. Was that when she was practicing uh, magic stuff? No, no, no. Because um, you're talking about how long the 
soul link can go how far the soul link can go right oh no no uh specifically their symbiosis perk is when they're near each other they share oh okay yeah good point yes 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 yeah yeah i i don't know what the distance on soul uh twin souls is i'm assuming i I can't imagine any distance on that is completely arbitrary yeah Uh, you know it'll be arbitrary with the skill thing too with the symbiosis but at least that makes sense like hey look while you're fighting together you share perks or you share Mm -hmm. skills like that Mm -hmm. that at least makes sense but Hey, you can't go more than a thousand miles, otherwise the soul magic stops working. You know what? Do yeah, souls but, have tape measures? Come on. I mean, maybe it's just like you have to be on the same plane of existence for soul magic to work. That sounds fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's this weird thing about elves where apparently they don't practice shit. They just the first time they do it, they're perfect at it. And I want to know. I, I wanted to know how the fuck that worked. I like put notes about it and everything. But uh, then it tells us a little bit later that apparently they just meditate on doing what it is they want to do for, I guess, as long as it takes. And then once they're done meditating, uh, they can just fucking do it perfectly from the beginning. Yeah, it sure sounds like either June's guess that they're practicing in secret and everyone knows that they're doing that, but they all lie to each other. Um, That could be too. That could be it. Or, you know, people do have skills. His companions have skills. Maybe they get to, through some sort of elvish meditation ritual, invest their skill points. And yeah. they they emerge from their meditation a level 40 swordsman, a level um, 60 skin mage, whatever, right? Right. Yeah, it could work in a game world, so that works. Yeah, on a game level, that, that might make sense. I think my first guess was like, oh, they're all, of course they all just practice. They're just lying. Like, this is just yeah. a social facade. But uh, I think you threw out the idea of like do you just pick a skill and you're automatically good at it and i was like oh you're right i forgot this was a game that there's i can't see a reason why that wouldn't work Mm-hmm. yeah all right so then moving on to the actual um the relationship talk they were having uh fen says that she always thought of romance as the human stuff the courting and the invitations and opening up to someone having them judge you judging them back i don't have a lot of experience with any of it but I always thought for humans it was trying to find someone whose good points overwhelmed their bad points or deluding yourself into thinking that's the case. And that's romance in a nutshell. And uh, June says that's not a good description of romance. And I pulled this out because, first of all, I think what Fen described is correct regarding what humans actually do. Uh, but I do think June is right that that's not romance. Um, and I, I know we've talked about this before. Uh, do we? Would you like to give the... The answer we've given in the past? Candles. Candles, yes. If there's candles, it's romance. Other circumstances don't matter, and if there's not candles, it's not romantic. Yeah. If, and, if you know, I, put a gun to my head, that's the answer I'll give, just to say fuck you, but yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as a joke answer, it's pretty good, and I think it kind of like gets to the the meat of what romance actually is, because like as far as I can tell, romance is basically like a mood that you invoke. Like it's role playing and props and setting and stuff. It's it's a feeling that you generate because you enjoy it, kind of like uh like when you go to a movie to to feel sad or to laugh or to be in horror or whatever. And you go to a sad movie or a comedy movie or a horror movie, and it's 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 really fun and it's really nice to do romance, but uh it's also not real life. Um, but also I'm notoriously bad at knowing uh things about love and romance, so I could be completely off on all of that. And uh, I don't know, was just wanted to open that up to discussion. If you had any thoughts on what romance is. Um, I mean, I think you're probably on the right track. Like, you know, all right. So two people are on, are sharing a couch and watching a movie. Is mm-hmm. this romantic? And the answer is, well, that depends. 
Yeah. It depends on how they're feeling. Yeah. Right. And I, there's probably something there to where they both have to be feeling it for it to be romantic. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's romantic, if it's one-sided, but I think it can be, I think that's you, you know, you could possibly hire someone to give you a romantic evening. Simulated romance. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a good answer of whatever romance is, but I do know that it's not whatever Fen said. Like, that's what you'd expect from like a not deep teenager is trying to sound edgy and cynical. Like, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, if you ask them what romance is. Yeah. I think that you'd get an answer like Fen's like, oh, it's just people, you know, um, uh, what did she say? You know, finding someone whose good points are all their bad points and deluding yourself into thinking that's the, or, or deluding yourself into thinking that's the case. And that's romance. And it's like, well, I, don't, I don't think that's romance, but I think that's basically what finding a relationship is, right? Um, yeah, maybe. Like, because well, every every person has like good things about them and bad things about them, and what you consider good or bad depend changes depending on who you are and what your values are. And so everyone's out there trying to find people who have like lots of good points that they really like and not so many bad points that they can't overlook them because this person is awesome. Yeah, it just sounds very queerness quarrel to say. Oh yeah, you find somebody you can tolerate and then delude yourself into thinking that this is a great situation. Like well, I when you do it in the queerness quarrel voice, of course it sounds bad. But like if you did it in the Finn voice, maybe it would sound not so bad. I I think it just makes it somehow sound more childish. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I, I do think that's maybe what people do. Uh yeah. it's just yeah. I, I don't have a good like way to n- pin down what the word romance is is precisely but i can point out the kind of thing it is yeah um you know whatever it is the the line between super close friends who are comfortable with each other and romantic partner romantic partner is not like a very clean cut i no i mean i kind of think it is the line would be do you do the romance activities with that person like if you have a super close friend that you're very very comfortable with and you do the candles and romance then that's a romantic partner i mean uh i think that like i said oh well Super close friends who are very comfortable with each other, you know, could sit next to each other. They could even cuddle and watch a movie, right? Sure. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if that has to be romantic. You know. No, I don't think I, it does. I, I, have I could have somebody be, by candlelight, you know, rub oil all over my naked body, and on one context, that's a romantic evening, and another, it's a massage. Yeah. You know, so like it, the I, I don't think it's a it's a there's a hard line between those things. I think it's like fuzzy, like well, the I, line isn't to, in. The line isn't in the physical actions. The line is in whether the the mood of romance is trying to be summoned up or created, right? Yeah, that's fair. I, so I was thinking, like, if I were to show you a mo- you know, a three sec, a uh, thirty second clip, and be like, "Was this romantic?" Really, the answer is I have no idea, right? Right. Because you don't know what they're feeling, unless it's a movie and they're basically telling you what they're feeling. But if you know, all you see is uh, whatever bird's eye view of a massage. You're like, is this romance? like that meme of the butterfly thing um, right then it, it would depend on what the people in the room are feeling uh, yeah. i i think this is still just like you know fen as we learned is somehow in her 30s but uh emotionally she's younger than june well, it seems like so when you say she's somehow in her 30s it's the somehow is she lived 30 some years so that thus she made it to her 30s i think i'm i i say i say somehow because i would think somebody who managed to live for 30 years would be more emotionally mature than a 17 year old from Kansas. But uh, well, I personally think Fen is living her best life and I would rather be with a 30 year old like Fen than a 17 year old than like Amaryllis. Hmm. I don't think Fen thinks Fen's living her best life. 
Well, sure, but I can disagree with Finn on that. She'd be like, I'm really unhappy. I think I might be a bad person. Be like, no, you're living your best life. (laughs) (laughs) Never change. (laughs) Might might be a little selfish on my part. She's got her perks. Yeah. Um, Anyways. Yeah. June gets some romantic points arguing arguing back with her on this, which I thought was nice. Uh, Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Finn, like you were saying, is kind of down on herself. And June tells her, you're literally the best team member I have because apparently he's already forgotten about Ropey. You know, I didn't even pull that out. I, I'm sorry, Ropey. <laughs> I, I didn't even occur to me to, to think that he's betraying our favorite, our favorite Rope. Man, no, I'm glad one of us was on the ball there. And he's in the, and Ropey's in the car. You know, I know. He can, he can hear he can all hear this. hear every word. God, his his little Ropey heart is just on time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, on to she peered over one of the signs. Oh yeah, um, this was just fun. So they're driving, by the way, like with traffic to Parsement, and she looks over the signs like, "Oh, that's where you park." And she turns the wheel and goes down a street, and there's a parking garage with an attendant. And like, I know this isn't the part of the chapter that I, that should be the most interesting, but it's just awesome. It's so earth feeling that it mm. de- generates like this weird sense of dissonance. You know, there, there's been yeah. cars and that motorcycle and whatever, but mostly they're traveling by foot, teleporting or being birds. And yeah. they, the idea of them taking an Uber to their next adventure is, is <laughs> totally plausible and funny. Yeah. And a little later, they got like reporters flashing bulbs at them and being like, hey, look up here. See? Right. Yeah. It's uh, maybe it's because they haven't been in a lot of civilization, you know, um, uh, Baron Drool was a wretched hive of of uh, scum and villainy. Thank you. Yes, scum and villainy, and that didn't have much in the way of of traffic laws and and cameras. But yeah, the, the at least Parsement certainly seems like a, a first world city. Yeah, and it just like I said, the idea like oh man, this is so earthy, and they really could just rent a car to take them to their to the next adventure. Yeah, I mean they bought a house for no reason, and you know, yeah. Don't think they they putting out somebody too bad just to uh, um, ask if they can. Uh, hey, can we? Can you give us a, a long drive to whatever the glass fields? We'll give you this bar of gold. Damn. Yeah, I'd probably do that for bar gold as long as they didn't have to go in. Yeah, I mean, even if it took a year, I have no idea what a bar of gold amounts to in the average Airbnb Airbnb income. But I'm assuming it's a lot. So yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Especially because then the gold mages will probably give you a lot of money for it. Or kill you. Yeah, good point. Hmm. Trade-offs. Yeah. I guess it depends on if you know a place to turn bars of gold into money without getting killed. Yeah. Mm, a bank, I guess. Um, Maybe one of those governments that actually enforces laws, unlike Baron Jewel. That's true. There's probably a reason he was hanging out there rather than like an actual city with rules. Yeah. All right. Uh, so this is the part where um, Fen says that <laughs> I'm sitting in a car with a guy who accidentally turned off the world and started back up again. But I think we already talked about that. Yeah. Um, we can jump to the to the next bit I pulled out here. That was funny where um, she's, oh, I guess her loyalty goes up when he says like, you know, my background is pretty boring too. Cause she's all like, uh, you know, I, I spent a long time pillaging uh, exclusion zones and stuff. And he's like, I lived in a flyby state. My life was boring. And her loyalty fly goes over. Fly over, thank you. And her loyalty goes up to twenty one. And he's like, "Oh, loyalty can go above 20. And she says, "We're going to find some way to uh, grind that loyalty up, if you know what I mean." Oh yeah. And I said, "Oh, grinding naughty bits to grind loyalty points is tight." <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes, it is. 
Yeah, we get a we get a flashback to um, a D and D session, which explains yeah. some of the voting business in Parsement, and that there's basically always two parties at the top of the power that are working against each other, because it's kind of like the U.S. Uh, political system. Yeah, this is what he was reading the two party or the the single vote system where you get the two dominant parties, et cetera. But uh, they're, they're the gang is still entertaining their idea of how do we bust people in to get us tons of votes? Like we're billionaires mm-hmm. with millions in liquid money. And there was a great one where uh, we're millionaires because we don't have mortgages or pay taxes. And Raymer says, don't give June any ideas. And Craig, the minute someone ass- assesses a, ta- a tax on my looting is the minute I start a one man civil war. I will burn this fucking place to the ground. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I had said, channeling David, yeah, taxation is theft. <laughs> Fight the power. Fight the power. <laughs> Shout out to David over at the uh, Mind Killer podcast. That's right. Comes out on alternate Wednesdays. Heck yes. So yeah, the um, <laughs> they're talking about this. And uh, he June says, don't get any ideas when it's, you say this. But yes, you keep them, uh, the votes, even if the person who gave them dies. Uh, and Raymer says, in an unrelated note, we should kill these people after they vote for us. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's fucking Raymer. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I chuckled out loud when I read that. Um, I If he has any characters on Arab, you know, that that assassin that was in um, Uther's party 42, I don't know if he was like just an assassin from that race that Uther met and gave him the name 42 or something, or if that was actually one of Raymer's characters. Uh, the I would suspect that Raymer's characters would all be kind of dark lords, but maybe assassin is one version of you know, it's also just one of his characters, right? Maybe every exclusion zone is just another Raymer character being like, can't believe I can't abuse this rule anymore. Honestly, if like, if we didn't already know Felseed was a thing that June invented, that would be mm, my true. leading guess. <laughs> no, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, you know, it, it yeah. doesn't have to be a sentient Raymer in there. It could just yeah. be like, oh yeah, Raymer was playing as a bad guy and that bad guy was smart and creative. And look, the world that they lived in had to build a wall around him with with exclusion rules to keep him from taking over the planet. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. So we flash back to Arab after we learn about the rules. Oh, what are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? When you've kept your brain, but the world's in yeah, it, this one just ends with Raymer saying, cool, let's kill him, is what I would say if I were a villain. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, they officially make it more than 15 seconds before they get pulled into, into shenanigans. So yes. they do get a chance to go buy books and look at a, like, one of them is a hell map. Yeah. So you pulled this out that on the topology map, parchment was marked with dark red stripes, which the key said the hells were close and tightly packed. <laughs> it's just a piece of, like... Um, I don't know, information dump, like exposition that is given in such a nonchalant way. And I just mm-hmm. imagined it like a tour guide, like on a nature walk and be like, oh yeah, this mountain range here was caused by a glacier. And over there are the gates to hell. <laughs> it, and it, everyone's like, oh, oh, another gate to hell, huh? Yeah, this this is, it's just awesome that this is just a boring background fact. You know, like, you know, this, the sun is, I don't know what it is in diameter, but it's it's this gigantic uh nuclear reaction happening under enormous pressure because it's so big and it's it's literally uh just constantly exploding out there and that's why our our you know 
planet was worth to grow trees. Like that's just a boring yeah. fact about nature that isn't cool until you take a second to reflect about it. That's just right. how they feel about hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yep. It's pretty damn cool. But speaking about hell and how awesome and insane things can be, Uther got this magic warhammer uh, and returned to Anglican and hit the Apocalypse Demon at the height of like the Apocalypse Demon arc. Hit it so hard that it crashed through every single layer of hell and bottomed out with such force that it permanently pushed every single hell away from Anglican like a four-dimensional crater. And we both pulled this out because this was fucking awesome. Yeah, that's the god tier shit I'm talking about. Like every other Uther story's either been poorly described or merely awesome. Like he beat the ice wizards or whatever. But mm-hmm. other than like you know twisting himself into a forge frenzy, which was you know more than a little, which is more than merely awesome. But smacking an apocalypse demon so hard he smashed space time, and you use it with this uh, whatever long quest warhammer artifact. Like I mean, that's that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. Yeah, that's some like Marvel movie final scene shit. Yeah, this is this is high level stuff and it's this is probably all full of his biography that June won't read out loud to us. So yeah. um you know, I'm sure we'll get more cool Uther stories, but this is just like one of the things he did. And so yeah, hell lays over Erb in this four dimensional, you know, kind of interstice where there are parts where it's closer and parts where it's less close. But I guess Anglican, the the seat of the empire, uh, you know, Uther hit a, a an apocalypse demon so hard that it pushed hell further away from this part of our physical plane. Fucking badass. Hardcore. That's like punching someone so hard the planet they're standing on gets a little bit farther away from the sun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, I kind of wonder where that hammer is. Oh uh, yeah, that would be a cool thing to have. Yeah, it sure sounds useful. Maybe he took it with him when he disappeared. Yeah, I'm sure it's not laying around. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe they'll get a quest to find it later. That would be handy. Yeah. Uh, uh, they don't get very far into town before having some kind of encounter, though, because a huge, handsome man in shining armor lands in front of them and tells them to come to a secret bunker. <laughs> yeah, he says, like, oh, yeah, so th- that was great because uh, it all feels very... Um, like he's trying to be as amicable as possible, but this is all very unusual. And he even he he's like making a show for the crowd. He's like, "Oh, you know, I'd like I'd like you to come with me. I, I assure you, it's all quite routine." And I'm yeah. like, "Oh, sure, this is perfectly legit." And I was like, "Get fucked, dude." And, uh, <laughs> June essentially has the same thought immediately after I did. But you know, this guy's got uh, a charming smile and an eight foot sword, and uh, so he's he's the Abswift, which. I guess is one of the two leading political parties in uh, Parsman. Yeah. And it's interesting because like uh, immediately after once he lands and June is like giving him some pushback, people start giving him a lot of their votes that like jewels that, that show up in the back of his head and apparently give you small power-ups until they start accumulating in mass. And like, it didn't, it didn't occur to me that people would hate this, you know, shining, armor protector person and like as soon as they started giving june votes for standing up to him i was i i immediately felt more that this guy's probably more like homeland homelander than superman um but but on the other hand maybe it's just because he's hassling my boy june and i automatically dislike someone hassling june i think superman would also have some questions for june if he had any idea what was going on but like i i don't know it is it is funny i think that i mean if you could take away your vote, for, you know, if you could vote for anybody you wanted for president and you knew that your vote didn't really matter unless it was in aggregate with everybody else's, you might just 
you know, vote for the person in front of you in line who tips really well. And you're like, Oh, that was nice. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it, I, I think I would throw my vote around a hundred times a day. And so it might be just that, but they're not, they're not really like just, you're right. Doing it totally haphazardly. They are, they're like, Oh yeah, fuck this guy. Um, yeah. by, by this guy, they mean the apps with, I mean, maybe these are all his detractors. You know, it's, it's a highly polarized political thing. And these are all, uh, never abs with and, yeah. Uh, they they didn't like him anyway. I don't know, but yeah. it, it, they, it, they, June... they poured in by like the hundreds, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I imagine that like once June started standing up, they they put their votes to him, and then like when he decided to go with him, he says, I think he says he felt them tri- trickling out again, and they probably are just start giving it right back to uh, the B guy who is who is Absolute's main nemesis here. I guess that's an interesting thing about this is that you don't have to look at the person to get their votes. Um, or maybe, maybe you do, maybe they have to like, wait till next time he walks through town to give him back to the Benden or whatever. Um, oh yeah, maybe. But if not, that'd be like a way to know you could check in on your friends, like just to make sure they're, they're alive. Hey, is Inyash's bucket still there? Yep. I could vote for him if I wanted to. Oh, oh, that'd be neat. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it's the, the situation gets, uh, rather intense cause they're, they're not in, into the idea of walking off with him to who knows where. Right. So. He says, don't make, don't make me invoke my authority. And June's like, I think I'm going to make you invoke your authority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he says, I use my authority as the abswift of, of parchment under penalty of death. And they're like, okay, you the, got it, dude. We're coming with you. Basically the equivalent of, am I under arrest or am I free to go? Right. And, and he was like, fine, you're under arrest. Right. They, I, I liked June, you know, because he didn't do it in a way of like, no, nah, man, fuck you. But he did say... Um, you know, like, do we have a choice in this? And he says, yeah, I don't want any trouble, but if you're going to ask for my time, I insist that you do so officially. Otherwise we'll be leaving. Yeah. And so he, he did it in a very amicable way. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. That was cool. Uh, so near the end of the chapter, uh, it, it, I'm not sure if it actually closes out with this, but this is near the end. Uh, I pulled this quote. All of Abs with all of the Abs with supporters were essentially locked in supporting him by the reality of the system, and same for the Benden. I won't claim that this was especially subtle on my part, but my defense is that I was 14 and reading about things like oh, this is the name Divergers Law, Divergers Law. I don't know how to pronounce the name, and a basic political theory. And like, I mean, he, he's he's like putting forth this. Hey, look, it's not subtle, but whatever. I was young, but I mean. I kind of like it. I don't think it has to be subtle to be cool because I mean, there's, there's always this thing where like authors always want to be like really subtle about things and, you know, it, it'd be really cool that way and kind of make this point sideline be like, do you get it, man? It's like a subtle thing. And, and that's cool and all, but like a lot of times it just goes over people's heads. Like it's hard to convey, um, things like that in just text when you don't have tone of voice or body language or anything. And I think a lot of times you just got to animal farm it up, you know, like fuck subtlety, be like, yeah, this is about Stalin, but I turned him into a pig and named him something different. So here's your Stalin story. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that animal farm book didn't do too bad. So I, I think subtlety is often overrated. Yeah. I mean, subtle stuff can be fun, but mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the, um, you know, I, I could think of a, some Marvel tie-ins if I needed to, but, you know, it, it doesn't have to be subtle for it to be awesome. Like, uh, case in point, methods of rationality, you know, it's not exactly subtle about the point that rationality is awesome and you'd be, you know, you you, you want to be smart like Harry, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's that's kind of, it couldn't be louder about that, but it's no less cool for the fact. 
Yeah, and I mean, I, I, there's there's certainly a limit. Like, at no point did did the well, nah, I don't know, maybe there's a limit where it gets to be too much. Where they're like, okay, come on, give me give me a little bit of cover here. But <laughs> oh, right, the the example is from Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog, where Captain Hammer goes, uh, you know, I'm about to go give her the hammer, and these aren't the hammer, and he pull you know pulls up his fists, and then he walks away. And then, and, and then, like he comes back in the frame, he says, "The hammer is my penis," it's, <laughs> and it's funny because you got it, you you knew what he was saying, but then he just comes over and like pulls it all out there, and you don't you don't have to go that far with things. It, it's funny because it was too far, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, oftentimes subtlety is overrated. Yeah, if you were explaining every joke that way because you thought the audience was dumb, that's one thing. But if you're if you're doing it because it's extra funny to belabor the the joke, you know. Being, for example, the entire Deadpool movies, yeah, right. I mean, they're, they're self-aware about about their silliness, and they they talk about it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Are- oh, yeah. On their way to, so that's basically where the chapter ends. They're they're walking uh, to his tower. He says, "You'll see it. On, you'll see it. It's the one in white." And apparently, like right next to these, uh, so there's these two buildings, these two thin spires, basically right next to each other, or I guess. Um, it doesn't say how close they are in proximity, at least in this chapter, but they're they're within eyesight of each other. And there's a white and black one. And the chapter just ends with him saying, fuck, in his head. Mm, yeah. And then we have chapter seven, moral agency, where they're being escorted to the white tower. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why this was my thought. I think it was just because of the interaction from the cutaway we got last chapter. And if I was a sentient Craig in this story, like on Arab. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's my boy, June. And I couldn't like tell him be like, Hey, it's me, Craig. Let's go hang out and chat. Cause you know, I'd want to keep up appearances. I might do what the apps with did, ah. but I'd had this fleeting thought that how awesome would it be if uh, the guy in the black tower was Raymer and, and this guy was Craig, but <laughs> that would be great in my, even in my notes, I was like confidence level less than 2%. And that yeah. turns out not to be the case, but uh, yeah, they're walking to the white tower and um, like June points out that this is a clue because this was a um, a a thing from another game that they had, and I think that the the White Tower was like the good side, and the 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 Black Tower was the bad side, and they were like on opposite sides of this small planet or something. But the point is, is that they weren't on uh, they weren't in Parsement when he made Parsement, right? So it's just yeah. like a, a smashing together of of his other ideas, and so I mean. They, they seem to fit naturally into Parsement and like the way that he set Parsement up, which was like, hey, you know, I want these two political factions uh, that are going to just be the the masses throwing their support behind behind people. And I feel like that always turns out badly. And so the the game master was like, oh, you know what? I'll take this idea you had for this this small throwaway game you had and throw it in Parsement. I think it would fit well there. And it does. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And then he- June is going about trying to figure out what exactly is going on. He doesn't really have many guesses, but he does unlock analysis as a skill. And he says, fucking finally. And he starts analyzing like all the stuff he's been doing that he thinks he should have gotten analysis for. And it never did uh, unlock for him. And then he gains a skill increase of one <laughs> in analysis for, you know, analyzing why it hadn't unlocked before, which I thought was a good bit of game humor. It didn't even pass me as humor. It just uh, it it ran by my brain as like, oh, okay, yeah, he's thinking more. But you're right; that is funny because he's he's 
trying to puzzle out what gave him analysis. And he was trying to puzzle out how to get analysis before this. It was off camera, but he says that he'd been trying to make this happen. And so he's doing that again. And the game is like, ha, you're right. Uh, or, well, job analyzing that, June. Have another point. Yeah, it is just yeah. a, it, it's a, another kind of throwaway humor bit there, I think, too. Yeah. Uh, so they do a little bit of good prisoner, bad prisoner, good cop, bad cop to the Abswith. And that's just, it's always a cool, not a cool, it, it seems like a good thing to do often if you're in some sort of social confrontation and you have a friendly person with you. And like, I really think I just got to figure out some kind of covert signal that I can give to my real life companions, like like you and Charlie and Drake and stuff that like, you know, I can flash some hand sign and that means we should do good cop, bad cop on this thing right now. Because, uh, you know, you, you can't just like say that to the other person that ruins it. Yeah. I mean, a really subtle signal might just be you start playing good cop and mm-hmm. you hope that the other person is like, oh, okay, he's being nicer than he would usually be in this circumstance. I think he wants me to be bad cop and that's a good idea. Yeah. But, I don't know if I have that that level of situational awareness about things, though. I would need a signal. Yeah, that's pretty subtle. Uh, yeah. It also helps that I think Fen's natural inclination is bad cop. <laughs> and yeah, so, so it wasn't hard. He's like, I, I, w- I need a way to subtly com- communicate to Fen that she should be kind of an obstinate ass here. Wait, I don't have to signal anything <laughs> to her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, the, the, I did want to just mention that on their way there, you, we talked about it briefly, but they're getting the picture taken by like, presumably like reporters or something, mm-hmm. you know, which again is sort of just that fun feels anachronistic kind of thing. But it's not so much of a prediction because I have no idea how like long in time the story is going to go. But if these are pictures of the young next Uther Pendrag, you know, imagine the the newspaper in Parchment that runs these. Those are going to be like collector's items and mind blowing to have in a century, right? Yeah. But like this was before he, you know, shattered the hells and resurrected the or, you know, found the lost king and um, did all this insane shit. Be like, this was when he was just a kid. No way. Yeah. So, yeah. I got to say, like, during this whole process where they were, like, confronted by Ab- the Abswith and then escorted back to his tower and everything, it really, I don't know if this is the right word, um, it really felt kind of impotentizing, emasculating, maybe, to, like, just be ordered around by the local government like that. Like, I'd, I'd really gotten used to June and the rest of them just basically being over able to overpower any of the law enforcement goons that they ran into. And, uh, and, like, they can't with this. Like, before, Larkspur had to call in, like, the uber elite SWAT team to go try to ambush them. And this fucking Homelander guy, he's just, like, the local cop with superpowers. But he can order June around and, and just feels feels kind of feels kind of bad. I mean, I know it's a normal thing, IRL, where you got to obey the cops and stuff to make your life not, you know, be cut short or <laughs> just really bad made. Um, but, but in a power fantasy, like, worth the candle, it's like, oh this part kind of sucks yeah this is different than like going up against the gold mage who super outclassed june right because mm-hmm. this guy is just like he's like a bureaucrat he's dragging yeah. him to his office to do paperwork with him <laughs> right and and it's like you guys realize you can't run because i can fly and i'm i mean his sword is eight feet tall i get the impression that he must just be like a an ordinarily tall human but you know like it he wields around this giant sword like it's nothing. He could he could just carry them, you know, to his office, and there's not much yeah. they could do about it. So it's like, uh, you're you're right. It I'm trying to think of any good analogs from like any other fantasy books or something, but it's just like you know, 
yeah, he's being bossed around by the by the cops, and it's like, uh, like this is the destined hero that's going to break the world open, and the cops are pushing him around. Yeah, and it is basically like, yep, you're gonna come to my office and do paperwork with me, and it's like, well, I guess I literally can't say no because you can ruin my life. All right, um, yeah. I don't think I could beat you in a fight, and you've told me that's what it's going to come down to. So lead the way, sir. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, I'll be happy to come to your office. Please don't hit me with that giant sword. Yeah. Uh, so they get up to the top of the tower, and they get the or June, and anyway, we gets the affliction goodly, and then we get a flashback. Yeah. So this was fun. Um, yes. There was. Uh, there was another helicopter call out, which made me think that they were going to have a helicopter later, but they didn't. Um, before the the flashback, they were talking about like uh, sky sickness and tall buildings. And oh, yeah. um, apparently June's dad got that, but he flew helicopters. And so he thought it was funny that, you know, if he has no skyscraper, he'd go green around the gills. And then later when they're like, oh, we shouldn't take the car back because it's probably had who knows what done to it. And I'm like, did she steal a helicopter? But no, it was a motorcycle. Yeah. Still nah. a cool callback. But yeah. I, I was hoping it was going to be a helicopter. <laughs> or you were primed for it and everything. I know. So he gets, yeah, the goodly affliction. And yes. it's a throwback to basically, do we kill this demon baby? Yeah. It's, it starts with our, Arthur saying, it's an evil baby. You have to kill evil babies. You'd kill baby Hitler, right? <laughs> and Tiff says, no. Assuming that I have access to baby Hitler, I can just kidnap him and raise him not to be evil. And I... <laughs> And I know this is going to date me as as an old, but I watched Xena, the Xena series, when I was in my early teens, and I loved this. Well, not just early teens, early and late teens, and I loved Xena. And uh, there was I was part of the the online forums and really active in the fandom. And this exact sort of thing happened in Xena, except it wasn't the baby Hitler; it was a baby Satan, right? And like. I was all about siding with Gabrielle, who was Zena's sidekick, who was saying, no, you can't kill baby Satan. It's a baby. We can raise it to not be evil. And Zena's like, but it's baby Satan. I'm going to kill it. And like everyone on the forums was against me. And I, I guess I, I think it's because they were just, you know, sticking up for the protagonist of the series. And if it was the other way around and Zena had said, let's raise the baby, they'd be sticking up for her instead. But uh, I, I still kind of kind of resent that I was the only one pointing out that maybe if you have a baby, you can raise it not to be evil like they did with Hellboy. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, things things have changed a bit for me. <laughs> like nowadays, I'm less sure you could raise a Satan baby correctly. And I, I think it would probably depend a lot about the rules of the world. Like, I mean, with Hellboy, you could because in the comic book, apparently you can raise an evil demon uh, correctly. But in, in Xena, you couldn't. Even no matter how you raise this evil baby, it's going to end up evil. Although I will say it was ripped away from its mother uh, in babyhood, so uh, maybe that had something to do with its evil upbringing. Um, but you know, I, I, I think I, I think it's probably at least worth a try in most cases. Whereas before, I used to say no one is born a monster; everything is taught. And now I, I think probably genes and inherent stuff is a bigger thing. And I'm not sure I'd be willing to risk an apocalypse for one baby, especially because I don't consider newborns to really be fully sentient. Uh, I'd be like, yeah, it's, it's not even a person yet. Like kill it now before apocalypse can happen. So I guess I've changed quite a bit. Well, I think that there's also, uh, it, it's a, it's a different um, circumstance, you know, baby Hitler 
is a baby human. I am confident that if Hitler were raised with with true love and kindness, and his dad wasn't an asshole, and uh, you know reinforced his his love of art or something, that he probably wouldn't have become a dictator. You know, he would have gone to. He would, I'm not saying merely like if he'd gotten into art school or something, but yeah. like I, I, th- I like think that his if, whole life was different, right? I, I don't see how that there, there's nothing innate about Hitler that like yes, he will become an evil dictator. Um, yeah. Whereas if you've got a Satan baby. That sounds like okay. This this sounds like evil is more innate in that than to any baseline human or any possible human. So yeah. there might be literally you could there, there might be nowhere for the seeds of love and kindness to grow on a, on a Satan baby. I mean, I can see that being the case, uh, but I was I was very adamant back in the days that no, even Satan baby could be raised correctly as long as you had a good enough upbringing. Well, and the stakes are lower for raising an evil Hitler because if you're like, okay, look, giving him true love and kindness isn't working. He, he's, you know, he's a teenager right now, but he's really seeming like he wants to become a dictator. I can still kill him, right? <laughs> but right. By, by the time he seems to dislike Jews a little bit too much, right? Let's stop this now. By the by the time your your pubescent Satan is uh, showing an inclination towards apocalypse, he might be too big. He might be too strong to stop. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, Tiff doesn't want to kill baby Hitler. Um, yeah, I, I think it makes her the worst time traveler ever. <laughs> <laughs> Although she does make a compelling case for not infanticide, which is the opposite of what is usually said. Which is basically, I can raise it to be a good kid. No, the the, the recurring thing that rationalists sometimes say is you make a compelling case for infanticide. So, oh, I she, see. She made a compelling case for not infanticide. Yeah, there's a apparently D and D in version whatever they're playing is like an actual like thing things happen differently if your if your alignment is one way versus another yep it can be detected by spells there are spells that will literally repel things that are that have the evil tag or things that will uh, have the good tag depending on whether it's protection from good or protection from evil and yeah it's it's you know it was a fun system uh it's a very black and white kind of system but i also like I felt that way through a lot of my early life, into my twenties definitely, and I I still think it's how most people think about the world. If I'm being honest, like at least from what I seem to gather from social media and and talking to a lot of people, a lot of people just seem to think that there's there's good and evil and and not um systems of motivation and systems of incentives. Yeah, I I think that you and Rima are talking about different things. I think you're right that that some people do see the world in that kind of black and white. Um, mm-hmm. Raymer's not even talking about good and evil. He's talking about no. Look, this is a concrete thing with game implications. Like right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he's he's not even concerned about like right and wrong. He, yeah, it's just about like no. Look, this alignment thing actually has impact. And he like he's like waving papers and um, yeah. He he drabs his three point five edition character sheet. He's like, no, mm-hmm. look, it's an actual concrete thing. I can't do this spell because of my alignment or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. He says that uh, um, there are spells that could detect or protect from it. We could literally do the baby Hitler test if we had a D&D time machine and the universe would get a would get us a definite answer on whether or not that was an evil act. And um, <laughs> so like they could go back in time and I guess with D&D shenanigans, uh, they could have the game tell like not allow them to kill baby Hitler or allow them. And that would be the answer as far as Raymond is concerned for the purposes of the game. And this was the the note that ended on that I really liked where Tiff says, 
So there's an objective right answer to whether or not killing this demon baby is good, neutral, or evil. And June says, technically, yes. And Tiff frowns. Well, that's dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> I kind of like that. It's 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 refreshing. I don't know if you've ever been like uh, in a a highfalutin philosophical debate conversation with somebody. And then, you know, it's basically like, uh, well, sure. But then what about if this, and what about if that, and you're kind of like, um, poorly Socratic methoding each other. And then you ask somebody else and they're like, no, I would just call the cops. Like it, it, like just some grounded answer of like, oh yeah, that's obviously you're right. We'll never be in a situation where we have perfect insight as to whether or not this exact outcome will happen. So yeah, in the world we actually live in, let's do the actual thing that makes actual sense. Um, anyway, I just, I just liked that. Plus it's the idea of, okay, uh, Arthur, you're a good, you're a lawful good character. Go try and kill that baby. And he can't like that. That's the answer. So in another way, that's just the other way of like, well, that's dumb. Like I like that. (laughs) Uh, Tiff is the, is the grounded person who's like, you know what? This, this, this seems, this seems silly. And I like that she yep. she doesn't doesn't have any compunctions about calling that out. Yeah, and then she has to play the dumb game because them's the rules. And we don't but, learn if they killed the demon baby. That's true, we don't. Uh, but all this was uh, the flashbacks always serve for purpose. All this was done because when June got the affliction goodly, what that means is he is now he now has the alignment of lawful good uh, against his will. It has been inflicted upon him, uh, which is interesting because he feels like compelled to to be honest and not just like compelled as in like you know i'm forced to do this thing even though i don't want to like he really wants to and and has to make arguments with himself for why he shouldn't do the thing that's obviously good uh but he does say that um this i pulled out this quote uh where he's talking about um the absinthe and absinthe and how he seems like a good guy and he says, I could feel faith in the goodness of people where no such feeling had been before. And when I questioned that faith, I felt myself thinking that even if others wouldn't commit to that same level of disclosure, I should be an exemplar of truth. Because without someone to step forward, the whole world might get caught in a circular firing squad of defecting from good. And I just, I I'm, I like good June. I, I have to say it. I like life with good alignment. And I know good is stupid or whatever, but I do think it's the best way and i know wes is going to strangle me for for saying this kind of thing because he's very pragmatic but i think life feels better when you have good alignment and you believe in the goodness of people and you try to be an exemplar as much as you know you can and um and and i wish you know more people were like that and life was really more like that and and i even think that maybe my liking of horror fiction and my liking of like the really pragmatic real politic fiction like uh like Game of Thrones, it might just be the same thing because the fact that there isn't more good is kind of horrific. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I know what the good is stupid trope is when you said it, but I don't think that's a thing that's real. I mean, you could be good and smart. I don't think there's that they're mutually exclusive. Like, if you're the only good player in a room full of bad actors and you're like the only one telling the truth, then sure, you're going to be taken advantage of. If that's what that means, then that's fine. But like. Well, most people would say that like paying your taxes is good, but Wes would definitely say that not doing everything you can to reduce your taxes and even avoid them is is stupid. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I agree that you can do everything legally to to reduce your taxes because you know you should. Those there the exceptions are there to encourage what the things I don't know, but like 
very much he's of the opinion that if you can sneakily not pay your taxes for some reason, you should do that. And, and you know, I, I think most people would agree that maybe that's pragmatically smart, but it's not like the capital G good thing to do. Yeah. I mean, Hermione is capital G good. And yeah. it's not her goodness that gets her killed. Uh, it's it, it, any level of badness wouldn't have not gotten her killed. It's just, right. uh, I mean, with with the tax thing, you know, it, yeah, sure, it's it's illegal to not pay taxes or whatever. But like, good is not about capital G. Good is not about the law, right? You know, it's right. it's, it's not against the law to rel- to yell racial slurs at people. It's just not good, so you shouldn't do it. But the capital G good idea would be that everybody is pitching in and everybody is paying the taxes they should in order to fund uh, our government and our society. And therefore, if you're, you know, punking out, cheating on that, then that is not a, then that is the opposite of good. Yeah, I agree. I think freeloaders suck. Um, yeah. And again, it might be in your self-interest to 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 uh, defect in any prisoner's dilemma and freeload as best you can, but it's not... It's not the kind of way you'd want other people to behave, um, yeah. and and you know this sounds somewhat deontological, but it doesn't have to be. Like you know, I putting it this way: if there was a button that I could press to inflict goodly on everybody on Arab, I think I'd press it. You know, it especially because yeah. then that way people would be less inclined to defect, and there'd be fewer rooms full of bad actors that you're the only person um, being the exemplar of of goodness and rightness in front of them. Everyone else would have that same impulse. And yeah. it does seem like a, an imposition on their free will, but like, so, you know, you can still be a jerk. <laughs> it's just that rather, you know, June's still having thoughts. He can still have internal debates. There's just a thumb on the scales of like, you should do the right thing. Yeah. And so he can still do the wrong thing, but he's more inclined to do the right thing. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, the only um, hiccup there seems to be, well, I don't know precisely what definition of good the um that th- this affliction is giving him but i mean if all it's doing is making him not want to be a lying person who hurts people or something and gives the benefit of the doubt like that's happening over and over and some of them he calls out as being aware of it and some of them he doesn't uh you know he's like well you know it seemed like he was trying to be polite and he might be decent but you know i i had to just think about what the stakes were for me here and um yeah you know. and like, yeah, sure, bad actors could take advantage of that and exploit you. But like, if everybody had the goodly affliction, then there wouldn't be those sorts of people. And so goodness would be awesome. Yeah. And I suppose if you could still overcome the, I mean, I guess if I was hell bent on making this turn out badly, it wouldn't be that hard. You know, so no, you could definitely write the, you know, evil genie for monkey paw version of this story. Right. You know, if, if all this does is make you have an inclination to be good and give the benefit of the doubt, then somebody who really, really didn't want to do that could still be an asshole and everybody else would be inclined to keep giving them more chances and, yeah. you know, keep lending them money, keep not putting them in jail. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, or people could, you know, coordinate very strongly towards very bad things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that like maybe if they're convinced that orcs are subhumans and they should be wiped out or something. Yeah. This again, what definition of good is it? Is it a, yeah. is it a care for all, all life or is it a care for the people of Gondor? Nothing else. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so it would be easy to write, but in general, I think being good is good. God damn it. That was a stupid tautology. Sorry. No, I, I, I think that someone might challenge you on that tautology. So 
Um, okay. You know, or they might just say, let's try this again. Without the word good. Exactly. Try this again without the word good and, and see yeah. how far we can get. But in general, I'm a happier person giving people the benefit of the doubt, assuming that if someone's rude, they're having an off day and not like it's a deep character flaw and they're, they're really mean people, you know? Um, it just makes life better. It does. Yeah. And maybe I'm stupid. And if that's the case, then I'm okay with it. You know what? They say ignorance is bliss, and this is one of the reasons why. Yeah. Some, uh, I was going to say, like, stupid high five or something, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right. He does actually lie to the Absith because he's trusting in his previous self uh, and goes ahead with the decisions that he made before he entered this room, the things he planned beforehand. And I do really like trusting your past self to have thought things through and just following a plan that in times of stress you might want to renege on but you know that you were thinking clearer back then so trusting your past self is tight yeah especially if you have planned ahead i mean he didn't plan ahead to be to get this affliction but Mm -hmm. uh in general if you're like okay in the event that i'm going to be in an altered state of mind later i'm going to pre-commit to not doing this no matter how much it sounds like a good idea when i'm super drunk or something right yeah yeah. And uh, I've I've done that where like I I don't make decisions of of any import when I'm tired or, or or inebriated, which is the obvious one. But like it it even just saves you a bunch of troubles. Like if it's late and you're trying to to decide on something, I'm like, no, wait, you already told yourself that you know, especially if you don't have to decide right now. Like no, no, this will this can wait. And then you just you're you're allow yourself to, to put it down. But like I passed up an opportunity to to take DMT like a, ten years ago. Because I'd been drinking at a party and I wasn't that drunk, but I hadn't made the uh, decision to try DMT at that point. And yeah. so when it was first offered to me, I was like, ah, sorry, I've got this rule. I don't make new decisions whilst inebriated. And so it's, um, it's a darn good rule. Yeah. I mean, it might have been fine, but I was like, no, just in general, that's that's just how I roll. So, yeah, he, he has the wisdom to um, uh, say, no, before I got here and felt differently, I had these ideas. I'm going to trust those intuitions. I think that's a good call. Mm-hmm. and um so basically he's so they got pulled in because they got an anonymous tip that there was a an unregistered soul mage and they got descriptions of who was coming to town as well as like their license plate number and their car and whatever and yeah. so it was almost certainly Folliter's doing and it, with his minions coming in the nobody day before. else knows yeah yep exactly and it turns out that the traditional penalty for being a soul mage is death yeah. <laughs> Which is rather intense. And so uh, June is like, oh shit, what do I do here? And comes up with a very interesting plan. He says that uh, his companion in town is Princess Amaryllis Pendrague, the closest direct descendant of Uther Pendrague, and a recent political exile from her home country. I would like to formally request asylum on her behalf. <laughs> Which... My response was the same as Ben's response. Like, what the fuck? Uh, what is he doing here? But it turns out what he's doing is that since this uh, Parsmouth is like kind of loosely affiliated with the Empire Common Cause, but not like a full member, uh, if th- they were to grant political asylum to the princess who was wanted by the Empire, it would be all sorts of political nightmares for them where now their ally wants this person, but they can't because they want a criminal, but he won't give the person up because she requested asylum. And if you grant asylum, that's part of the deal is not giving it up to your enemies. And like just this whole awful political clusterfuck that he does not, the absent does not want to get sucked into. And uh, they talk about this for a second. He's like, okay, so uh, 
you're blackmailing me to let you go to not cause these political issues. And June points out that it's not blackmail. The princess is in real danger and that could be better handled by staying as hidden as possible. But uh, since it looks like that won't be possible, uh, failing that, it is imperative that she prote- be protected by as strong a governmental apparatus as possible. And in this case, that means the city-state of Parsmouth. That's not blackmail to state what I see as my options. And I think he has a darn good point. And that was pretty cool that this was true and allowed him to do this thing even while he's good. And, you know, he's doing the right thing for his friend, right? Yeah. He's like, look, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm not there to protect her. And I I wonder if he's being a little presumptu- presumptuous or if he's just selling this to the Abswith correctly uh, or like, you know, as best he can. But he says, I'm her primary protection right now. I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's her primary protection. Like, if anything, <laughs> you keep dragging her into a lot of dumb shit, but um, you are you are ostensibly going to help her regain the throne or something. But uh, there was it's uh, a quest at any rate. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, wait, is it? She doesn't have a quest. No, didn't she give him the quest? To, or did she just tell him that she would like that? Yeah, she tells him that she that uh, she would like that. But I don't think he has a quest for it because I remember that. I remember thinking that it was funny that he had one for for he had a companion quest for um Grack and Fen, but not one for her. Huh. I could have sworn he got one for her too, but maybe it was just in that same time period, so I assumed he did. And maybe 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 I'm wrong. I'll just double check. But in any case, um the at this point, I thought that like at this point uh, up until this point, I thought it was possible that the Absweth wasn't aware about this aura of goodness. Um but he says, you're, uh, you're, you're blackmailing me in the Tower of Probity. And yeah. um, so like, I was like, oh, well, no, no wonder he is insistent on doing all of his business in his office. I thought he just like, <laughs> might like the privacy or something. But I also wonder, you know, I can't think of a reason why he would be immune from this affliction himself, too, right? Maybe so, he's already as lawful good as it's possible to get. Well, it's possible. But him coming up here and saying, well, shit, you're telling me that we've got a, a princess in exile who I, I don't know what the the official story is on her exile from Anglican. Um, we still don't even know what she was charged with to be thrown into zombie land, but presumably there's some public story about this. And I'm assuming that it's like not in the newspaper, but publicly understood that whatever trumped up charges she was put on were a load of shit. Um, yeah. Otherwise he would say, Oh, so you've got a wanted criminal. Great. I get to do the right thing and turn her into the authorities. Uh, oh, right. And since if someone requests uh political asylum the lawful good thing to do is to grant that unless you have like you know really good reason to think they're a war criminal or something so he is being fucked by his own tower of alignment forcing thing right i mean it's it's also just a nice thing to do like falater wouldn't get political uh, asylum he no. would be asked for it um yeah it's like no actually you are a bad guy uh i'm not i'm not gonna lie i'm not he, he, the Absolute might even lie and say, of course, I'll keep you safe. Don't worry. And then immediately phone the police, right? Um, <laughs> right. And that, that, the might, Empire. that might still be the, the right thing to do. Uh, yeah. But I think that saying, look, I've got a, a princess in distress here. And I think that the Absolute is like, well, I can't just ignore that. So shit. Uh, right. All right. Well, here, here's here's the thing, kid. If you're a, if you're a soul mage, that's what's going to happen. But if you weren't a soul mage when the guy gets here in an hour, um, I don't see why there'd be a problem. <laughs> I know. Awesome. Like, threatening him with the political shit worked, and that was fantastic. Yeah, I think... I, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
I just, I want this to work in real life someday, except I don't know any way to make a bureaucrat's life really awful. But, but if I did, gosh, that'd be fantastic. I mean, it's the easiest way is like, you know, I'd like to speak to your manager kind of thing. But, um, I, in general, I don't think bureaucrats are trying to do the wrong thing. I'm more just thinking like high level politicians totally, uh, might be better subjects to this where a, they're not doing the right thing. So they need some, uh, need some threatening and political clusterfucks are like the only thing that actually work. Like that is real life. Um, you know, they're, they're not worried. Oh shoot. If I do this, it's going to be the wrong thing. They're like, Oh no, if I do this, my poll rates in Nevada are going to drop by 0.4%. Like, you know th- that tell them that and you can get them to do whatever you want right but oh my god have you have you watched veep at all yes oh it's such a fun show that's probably why i thought nevada and some small <laughs> fraction of percentage yeah yeah that show's fantastic yeah um all right so let's all right so yeah so he's fucking around in his soul and to try to figure out how to how to r- remove the skill from himself and he notices that level 10 in essentialism didn't give him a virtue but uh, he couldn't tell that from while he's doing soul magic. He had to back out of his soul to check in the game screen. And that kind of makes me think that the virtues he gets are a separate mod from the soul essentialism interface, whatever. It could be. Um, it could be that, like, maybe he just doesn't know how to find it in the soul. But I, like, imagine for a minute if um, Falter's looking at his soul and it does work just like June's. You know, mm-hmm. you see a body representation of yourself. You've got numbers next to your alignments and your um, values, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, Folliter would have the same essentialism or soul magic stuff, but he wouldn't have the game stuff, right? Right. So I, I. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think the game is just like this thing on top of everything else. Yeah. So, like, when Fen becomes a soul mage, as I anticipate that she will, she won't get a character sheet. Like, she won't get a game sheet. Like, uh. Um, like June, but I bet she will see the same list of skills with all the excluded ones on there. And even and when she hits level twenty in essentialism, she won't get the perk that June gets because he's the only one with the game layer, and the game layer includes the perks. I think so. Yeah. I mean, okay. I don't know what her um swordsmanship is or sword. Is it just called swordsman. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, one-handed weapons. Um, yeah. You know, when it gets to level twenty. She's not going to get the ability to meditate on a weapon for 15 minutes and become twice as good at it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that she will be able to see the numerical representation of how good she is with a sword. But yeah, minus the perk business. So it, it's well, it's kind of like what you were saying with uh, the the virtues slash perks being a separate mod. But I think that they're that June's just the only one with the game layer, and yeah, it. So to the extent that everything in the game is like one thing. He he's the only one who gets that, but everyone else still has, you know, if by some actual possible in principle to measure mechanism, someone could assess my skill at one hundred weapons and give me a number, right? Mm-hmm. But if I got twenty better, I wouldn't get perk, right? Unless you I was would just get better, yeah. Unless I was a magic person playing a game and I got a perk, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, I like that. Uh, we'll keep our eyes open. I I the the idea of separate people behind this game um, is compelling. And one of these days we'll probably get a direct answer, but for now I'll just keep my eyes open for evidence for or against. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the app seems to know that it's possible 
for soul mages to to take away their ability to do soul magic because apparently the government makes them do that if they can or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he says, well, if, when my soul mage detector guy gets here, he's going to check. And so I sure hope you're not a soul mage because are you? And he's like, no, but if I was, you know, I don't, I, I, maybe I'll test positive. And he's like, well, that doesn't really happen, but yeah. you know, and then June's just like, I'm going to take a nap now <laughs> and just closes his eyes. <laughs> yep. And so they're all just giving each other plausible deniability. And mm-hmm. while he's poking around, he hits level 20 and he can now modify his skills. Yes. And, uh, even Fen kind of drops the ball. I just remember I was just skimming through trying to find the name of the the perk he gets because um, Fen says you're asking Soul him to slip. you're asking him to erase a part of himself, and it's like Fen, I don't have a part of myself as a soul mage. You shut your mouth. <laughs> well, at this point, they all know he's a soul mage and just haven't literally said it out loud. But no one said it yet, so you know there's plausible deniability. He doesn't have to lie to say, well, he never told me. He told me he wasn't a soul mage, and yeah. the test well, confirmed I mean- it. You're you're telling him he has to erase a part of himself if he's a soulmate. Of course, if he if he were, which which no one's yeah. saying he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, oh, it doesn't. It's not in bold. I can't find it. Um, soul slip. Soul slip. Why is it not bold? There it is. A new virtual called soul slip. The description is fairly vague. All it said was that I'd be able to make new modifications and trade offs within the soul and alter that which had been unalterable which wasn't very helpful at all, given how expensive the soul was. And I don't know what that means. I, I can guess based on some of the terminology, but that sounds insanely powerful and awesome. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Once again, he doesn't have time to, to do it right because he's there's a there's a ticking clock with a guy with a gun at the end, other end of it. But, you know, like I when he was doing this and so he 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 jumps into his soul after he gets this perk again. I'm going to take another nap. And because he had to jump out of the character sheet, right? Oh, that's why you mentioned. Yeah. So he couldn't check his perks on, under the uh, the soul. So he had to jump out to his regular character sheet, which involved coming out of the soul trance. And then he just says, I'm going to take another nap. And he scrolls his um, level up preference way down. Uh, yeah. Somewhere between like his taste for Mountain Dew and some other super innocuous thing. So, yeah, so it's way down. There. Yeah, I could see him dropping it to like number 20, but it seems like he put it down somewhere in the hundreds. And uh, then he reduces, he just grabs a little scroll wheel. It doesn't say how he does it, but he slides the little the, the cursor next to uh, essentialism down to zero and then presses save and leaves. And yeah. um, I was I was bummed because I was thinking like, dude, you could have. Uh, oh, anyway, he put. um level up between mint chocolate chip and the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, ah, there we go. Yeah. So oh, I even did pull out the full soul slip thing. Whoops. I spent time looking up. I need to actually just read the, the note sheet. Anyway, um, he, I, I would have guessed that when he, he took 20 points out of soul magic, he could have put maybe, you know, charitably 20, but probably 10 or five points into something else. Maybe, but also like he said that he took it from 20 to zero all in one go because he was worried that if he took it down only one point, he would lose the ability to soul slip because then he'd be below the threshold. So maybe once he goes to zero, he's lost soul magic. And so he can't reallocate the points because now he doesn't have soul magic anymore. I sort of assumed it'd be like hitting save, like when he modified his character sheet and he rerolled some of his skills, you know, and I I know that it didn't say like, you need to make this correct before you hit save or something, but 
it took me as that it struck me as that kind of equivalent. Uh, you're okay. right. Maybe next time he does trade offs, he'll have to scroll down something with out putting soul magic below 20. But, uh, you know, it, it said um, trade offs within the soul. And so that certainly sounds like, you know what? I'm plenty good at, at uh, whatever um, swordsmanship. I'm going to sacrifice some points in that and put that into uh, this new magic that I want to try. Right. Yeah. Like, who knows? That sounds awesome. And it does sound cool. It it does turn out that, of course, there's no free lunch or even like easy wins with the DM. But uh, so like, what's an easy one to level up? You know, deception. He could just keep playing two truths and a lie with Fen during a long car ride and max out deception, jump into his soul, take whatever fraction he gets. If he rolls deception down to zero, and put it into something he cares about. I correctly predicted that rolling a skill back up is very hard. Um, yeah. it's not clear how hard it is to get the climb, but just unlocking it again. Uh, I, I, so I'd guessed when he gets soul magic down to zero, um, he says, eh, most it'll take me two days to get back to where I was and probably not even that long. And I'm like, I bet the DM is going to fuck him over on this and it will not, mm-hmm. ma- it will not be that easy the second time around. Uh, and you were right. Yeah. It turns out there's some shenanigans there involved that we'll have to talk about. But, um, this chapter ends with the, uh, the inspector showing up probably getting paid a small fortune to check him out and say, yep, he was a soul mage once, but he's not now. And yes. the, the lizard man. So I'm p- basically picturing a, uh, shoot. What are the reptile things from Zelda scroll series called? There's a whole race of oh, lizard I never people played them. and I'm totally blanking on it. And I was picturing the space Pope from Futurama. <laughs> okay. That works. Cause it says something weird about his pupils too. Right. And, uh, yeah. God, I had it in my head when I read this before, but it's not coming to me anyway. Yeah, so there's a lizard person that says he's not a soul mage, but he used to be. And the absolute says, well, thank you. That comports their official story. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's also a mage of like four different skills. Um, And he's human and 17. Okay, great. Thanks. Bye. And uh, the absolute's like, all right, well, if you'd politely fuck off and never come back to my city, that'd be great. And they're like, you bet. See ya. (laughs) So kind of an amicable thing. I don't know. If they're going to come back and meet him again at some point, all this is too interesting to leave alone, but you know, they've left interesting stuff behind before. I mean, this guy, this whole parchment business feels way more interesting and fleshed out than like Baron jewel. Right. Even though that was interesting, this feels like there's more stuff to explore here, but that would be kind of cool and kind of fit with the, the story of like narratively usurping expectations of like, I would expect us to get more time here figuring some of the stuff out. This vote system seems really fun to play with, etc. But the game, or, you know, the story just worked out to where it's like, actually, no, don't go back there. And they're like, okay, you bet. Mm-hmm. And they never go back there again. Um, yeah. A deal's a deal, sir. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to fuck with them. I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna, I wouldn't expect him to play so nice the second time. You know, he, he right. gave us a, a, a chance to get out of there. Um, if I did have to come back at some point, I'd make sure I was a whole hell of a lot pow- more powerful before I stepped in. Oh, that's true. Yeah, once you're smashing demons all the way to level 9001 of hell, then like, you know, come at me, Abswift. Like, what are you going to do? Call the police? Call the Empire? (laughs) I am the Empire. Um, (laughs) Or ask my boy Uther here. He's in charge. Like, That's right. Yeah, so maybe I'll come back. But at that point, like, there won't be anything fun to do in Parsement. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, like, what what are you going to go get some votes there? Like, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you already rule the empire yeah all right so they they decide to uh 
to take a motorcycle. Oh, we talked about this. They take a motorcycle out of town because their car might have been messed with and not a uh, helicopter like I'd hoped. So, yeah. and wouldn't you know it, it's the same model as the one that um, he and Amarillo's rode on their first ride on the first night in air. Yeah, probably a deliberate callback, as he says. Yeah, that's the thing so, from before. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as they're, as they're driving, uh, Fen is like, talking about her experience in the tower and says that uh she hated herself like not who she was then but like her past self before she was in the tower and uh she kept thinking about the person she'd been the things she'd stolen the people she'd killed and it says it just filled me with this disgust and horror i was like this outside observer looking back over my own life and thinking holy shit i'm a bad person and later she says and a part of me didn't want to leave the tower because i thought i would just return to being evil again so i had to make up my mind then and there that i would commit myself to the path of good instead of being evil but it slipped away even as we were going down the elevator and like that gave me like just a bit of existential horror feeling reading that because she basically got soul fucked there right and and I'm not even sure that she got soul fucked for the worse. Like I really like Fen, but I think probably good Fen is better to have in the world than than not good Fen. Yeah, I mean, like consider you know, like MDMA doesn't quite work like this. I think you can be a bad person, take it, and still be a bad person after. But imagine if there was a perfect like compassion drug, and it lasts for yeah. four hours, and you just you feel. Uh, what is that phrase from that post on like pretending to take LSD on SSC, like um, eternal love or something or whatever. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Eternal love. said the cactus person. Yeah. So, you know, if, if there was a thing like that, that lasted a few hours and then you come out of it, you could come out and be like, I've made a commitment to being a better person. This was great. Um, mm. And if we had that drug, I guess if you didn't have a lot to feel regretful for, you might not feel bad after you took it. And you might not need to make a commitment to become a better person because you're like, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. I feel good about this. But honestly, Fen is def- I, he puts it nicely. He says chaotic neutral, um, yeah. which is definitely where she's at. I, I, I mean, she's not evil. We've never seen her hurt somebody for the fun of it or right. something like that. She, she's definitely uh, I mean, chaotic neutral is not a good thing to be. Um, it's ex- in fact, as far as the D&D system goes, it's explicitly not good, <laughs> but because right. um, it's neutral. Yeah. yeah. But like she steals with wanton abandon. And it's one thing to loot a house that Amaryllis owns of all the stuff in it because we're leaving. Right. Another thing entirely to just rob a clothing store. Yeah. Like we joked about that before, like that, that clothing store person maybe lives on small margins and now they're destitute because you emptied their store of everything value. Like, yeah. and she, she does that because it's fun and she's never going to wear any of those clothes. Right. Yeah. So those kinds of things, she might be better off not doing like the fact that June didn't feel any kind of guilt like this suggests that Finn may actually kind of be a bad person. Um, you know, it, she's, she's a bit of a rascal, but she's not evil aligned. I don't think. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, she definitely does some things that I, I have taken pause at like the, the, cleaning out of stores and yeah to taking a furniture from hotels and things it just seemed seemed a bit excessive yeah i especially when they don't need to because they're rich as hell yeah. like they could buy and they do buy stuff sometimes but really kind of only when it's more convenient to um yeah now granted if you're playing a video game you steal all the time but she's not she's That's living her true. life and she hates talking about her life like it's a video game yeah so it's it's interesting i uh 
I was going to say, because Dune didn't feel guilty about this stuff, but he also didn't spend a lot of time reflecting on his life. He was mostly meditating on his soul the whole time they were in there. Like, mm-hmm. that took like an hour or something, right? Um, yeah. So she was in there talking with that guy, feeling goodliness just raining into her brain that whole time. And he his brain was in the room, but he was off doing his soul business. Yeah. So that didn't really, you know, hit him she, as hard. She got a, yep, she got a lot higher radiation dose than he did. Yeah. Um, I was curious if you think that this was evidence of Fen being bad with a capital B, or if you think the game is like just if this is more evidence that the game is full of shit. Um, or I, I option would, C of something else. I mean, I would. I don't know. I would consider it, it not that. Yeah, yeah, I would consider it small evidence that she is actually kind of bad. Um, but fortunately, we have June's explanation later on, which I think is a much better explanation. I think it's Maybe. possible. Yeah. I wonder how much of it is just him trying to make her feel better. Um, yeah, cause, me too. Because she does do some things that I think are, are actually bad. And I, I don't know why June sometimes doesn't step in and say, you know, let's, let's, not, let's not go quite that far. I think he does sometimes tell her, like, you know, why are you stealing this stuff or something? And, you know, it, it's not so often that, like, he's watching her steal motorcycles from people or whatever. But, you know, for all we know, that person's out of a job. You know, that was their, that was their commuter vehicle for work, right? Like, it... She, she has no thought whatsoever for the people whose lives she's she's interrupting. Yeah, and, and I do think that is actually kind of bad. Yeah, but, you know, she, this might just be kind of to Tiff's point. This isn't like good or bad people with capital G and B. Like, uh, Fen had it pretty rough, and she had to learn to look out for herself real young. And part of that means fuck other people. Yeah. And, like, I don't have time to to give everyone concern about everything. Like, I need to look out for me because no one else is. And so, yeah. you know, I get where she's coming from, but, you know, you take her into a good home, re-raise her as a child, and uh, suddenly she's not a compulsive thief and, uh, you know, kind of a jerk. She's all right. Uh, she's everything good about Fen with none of the bad sides. Yeah. But, Although, who knows if she would still be Fen. Yeah, this should be a different person, too. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so she asks, uh, she also asks him about the things, uh, she asks um, June about the things he's done on Arab. Like uh, killing Amon and his people and killing Fireteam Blackheart. And he dropped half of them down an elevator shaft. Uh, And, you know, I mean, I think she kind of has a point because I was a little disturbed by how he just casually murdered a dude in the elevator shaft. And he he rightly, I think, got the ruthless virtue for doing that, even though there was some evidence that they were probably going to kill him at the end of it. Like, I don't know. I don't I. I'm not entirely sure that, and it, I certainly think it wasn't a good a thing a lawful person, a lawful good person would do, because uh, because he was acting on partial evidence, and a lawful person would wait until they actually tried to kill him to defend themselves, which is probably why he'd end up dead, like uh, like Ned Stark. Spoilers, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, also like the when they were climbing up Almond's tower, and then Grack just throws the axe and kills the the people smooching there. Again, I think probably had to be done, but also struck me as like a whoa, you know, moment. And, uh, but I did eventually just like accept those deaths and move on. I was like, okay, well, I mean, these are protagonists. Let's keep going. And even those things might have been kind of evil. And like, so I, I got to thinking, like, how much of that is just me doing the whole protagonist bias thing where. Since it's our protagonist, I'm willing to accept evil things and just call them, eh, good enough, because this is my hero that I'm watching doing the things, and I personally identify with his struggle, and uh, 
And I don't want to think of him as a bad person. Kind of like the same way everybody in the world treated the whole Firefly crew. I feel like Brian Deacon would want us to, I can, I can, I can hear him saying like Harry James Potter Evans Barris. Bah. <laughs> you guys only like him because he's the protagonist. He's actually being an asshole, but he's a cool kid. No, totally. I just, I, I could just hear some of the echoes there, but um, you know, to, to the point with Fireteam Blackheart, I don't know if a lawful good would have to wait until they had really, really compelling evidence. Like they tried to kill me already because um, unless you have to be so good that you're stupid, you would know that the minute they try and kill me, they're going to succeed. And I, I'm, they put an exploding slave collar on my neck. This other person here told me they're going to kill me, and they're sure acting like they're going to kill me. I might as well get the jump on them because that's the only way I, I won't lose. I, yeah. I would like to think that you know a young Uther Pendrag, who was going to grow up to be the best king ever, would have done the same thing. And I, I do think he probably is a lawful good character. Um, yeah. I, so you don't need necessarily perfect evidence that these people are bad and going to try and kill you before again, because especially when the when the concrete evidence is them murdering you, um, yeah, I don't think you you have to wait that long. But uh, you know, so they had it coming. The um the the fuchsia coterie I think had it coming because you know, they, yeah, they didn't fuck even, those guys. They didn't even try to apprehend him. They just tried to kill him over and over. So. Yeah, you know they were low-level NPCs that were like, "We're we're here to kill you." Um, the the maiden, or not the, it looked like a maid and a guard or whatever, but it was actually like two of uh, of um, what's it? It was the warder and his guard. Yeah, actually, yeah, right. But so she looked like a maid or something, right? So like that's oh, that was yeah. his first thought. That was our first thought. And then the game is like, "Ah, you got the warder. Congratulations!" And it's like, "I just watched Crack murder this person. Are you telling me it's okay? <laughs> Fuck you." Um, yeah. So he wasn't all right with that. I mean. I think I think Fen is laying out his, you know, litany of crimes here to try and maybe say, look, we're kind of the same, right? And you're a good person. I want to be a good person. And I totally oh. get where she's coming from. But yeah. I, I don't think they're they're equivalent. Then again, we've never seen Fen kill somebody who didn't deserve it. Um right. we did see June be a bit rougher than he needed to be to interrogate the, the tattoo artist in Baron Jewel. But okay. even then, like, would it <sighs> What would Captain America do? Like, what would Captain America have bloodied that guy up so bad? Probably not. Um, he would have hurt him exactly as much as he needed needed to to get the information, right? Yeah. And because you know, I think Captain America is a perfect lawful good. Well, eh, let's not get into it. But um, <laughs> definitely good. Yeah, he's yeah. In fact, he, he's more good than lawful because the laws suck. But um, mm-hmm. you know, he that that strikes me more of like this whole thing is kind of just. Me imagining Fen looking for um, not absolution, but like, okay, I believe June is a good guy, and June and I did similar things. If he thinks he's a good guy, then I can think I'm a good person. Um, yeah. So I think that's what she's doing. But yeah, that, that's that's my read on it. Okay. That said, I don't think like again, just to be clear to Fen, and I don't want her to be too hard on herself, unless she's you know keeping secret this pile of innocent bodies that she left behind her. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she, I, I imagine that the people that she killed were deserving of it and the, yeah. the rest were zombies. Like, yeah. So I, I don't think she's done anything too bad, except maybe steal a bit more than, than is strictly justified. Right. You steal what you need. And uh, I think she probably is, is thinking this is what we need. Who knows if we'll need this. Um, right. So, but to her, I think it's fun. Maybe she'll steal less going forward. That'd be evidence that the room did have some lasting impact. But it's kind oh, of a yeah. bummer because she even said, like, I wanted to commit to being a better person. And then I left the room and this, you know, 
nonsense that entered my head just vanished. Yeah. But I mean, she's still broken up about it now, which is why she's talking about it. Yeah. But like her commitment of like, I think it's more, I don't think she looks back at herself and sees what she did wrong anymore. She's more just remembers having that happen, which is still uh, a circumstance, but it's not the same exact uh, situation. But that was not articulate. We need to, we'll power through. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so June has a answer for her, and in the process of getting to that answer, he um, tells her a little more about Arthur. He says that Arthur liked to argue, maybe more than he ever liked anything else in his life, and that was one of the best things about him, in part because he could come up with some really, really entertaining arguments that he would put a lot of thought into. And I used to argue uh, quite a bit, too, and really enjoy it. Um, and so, you know, I like Arthur, and this is a, yet another reason why. Yeah, Um I have less of like those arguing for the sake of arguing arguments now, like, and these are always good natured, like sport, right? Like an arm wrestling mm-hmm. contest. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I took one of my philosophy classes, like the, the, the teacher was like, all right, who thinks like it was after some relevant discussion, but he's like, all right, who thinks like intelligent design should be taught in schools and some hands go up and who thinks it shouldn't some other hands go up, including mine. Um, and he's like, okay, everyone, group up with the people that you that raise their hands with you and argue and be- make the best argument you can for the other side. You guys are going to debate this from the other from the other perspective. And I think that's extremely valuable. And that's what June says about Arthur too. He says a lot of the time he argued from a position he didn't really agree with. He thought it was good practice if you wanted to actually understand the world. And mm-hmm. I think Arthur's right. I mean, being able to pass an ideological Turing test is super helpful in understanding people. And that helps you make the world a better place. Right? Yeah, totally. And uh, so Anyway, so, so what, what, yeah, June's making a point here. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. His point is basically that he has already gone through lots of um, moral arguments and thinking about what's good and bad and should you kill baby Hitler or not. And Fenn's never had any of that. She's just had your standard upbringing of, you know, like, this is what's good. This is what's bad. Go to church and pay your taxes. And uh, if you don't, then you're bad. And so when she, like, had all that thrust into her brain, um, how, this is how you uh th- this is you know how you be good aligned um she didn't have any defenses built up against it yet she'd never considered those things and just like the constant you're bad you're bad you're bad was echoing in her brain and really fucking her up and uh and i think uh, i think june's right that that is a very plausible explanation of why june wasn't really broken up about it and fen was like june is a utilitarian and utilitarians are <laughs> maybe sometimes a little notorious for being able to justify baby murdering and infanticide on utilitarian grounds. Yeah, I I liked the bit where he had said that um the the tower of good was it didn't just like just make them think good thoughts. He says I wasn't just thinking that I shouldn't lie. I was thinking about the reasons behind it, which were different from the reasons I would have come up come up with on my own. And so he's had practice doing that because like he and Arthur could have been having coffee and it's like, all right, June, I want you to argue that uh, we shouldn't kill baby Hitler or that we should kill, um, you know, June, make an argument that we shouldn't give any money to uh, charity in Africa. And like, so the idea of attaching reasons to things that he doesn't endorse is not a new sensation for him. Yeah. And so when, when Ben had this happen, she, she, well, it wasn't just like in her head saying you're a bad person. It was a lot of really good reasoning for why she's a good why she's a bad person yeah and so uh that that's what i think made it stick so hard was that i see she didn't have that experience in reasoning for things she doesn't agree with right 
And so okay. June's like, oh, I've, I've done these exercises before. I can shrug it off. Yeah. Um, you know, I come out of my hour-long debate in which I vehemently argue that we should let everyone in Africa starve to death. And yet I come out of that feeling just as charitable and caring of, of starving people in Africa as I was before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I think that this is a good point uh, in favor of arguing with people on the internet. <laughs> because that is that is how you hone these sorts of skills. Although, again, probably only with like, you know, decent good people and not like some of the people you would encounter in certain areas that we will not speak of on Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of arguing, at least in voice, um, if you can't argue in, in person, just because there's so much that gets lost with a text message, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't, I see people talk past each other all the time um, about, oh, it sounds like you're saying this point. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to read it, you know, iterate, just make this clear. I, I think those clear up a lot faster in real life than they do on in a chat room. But I agree. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's good exercise. And who knows next time, you know, you might be someone might slip you a compassion pill and mess with your brain. So you want to be ready for it. Uh, that's right. Always be prepared. Yeah. Constant vigilance. That's right. Um, so they apparently they're already really late to meet up with Grack and Amaryllis and they decide, you know what, the difference between being an hour late and being three hours late or whatever, isn't that important. So let's pause, let's hang out here for like an hour while you try and unlock soul magic again. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, a, that's just bad manners, but B, um, it does make sense to like get him some soul skills again before they get back near, uh, Folliter. And yeah. so here's what happens. The, the DM is like, ha, no easy wins, no easy wins in this game. You chump. And oh. uh, he remembers the lesson. He remembers how to do soul magic. It's at zero, which is what it was when he was able to access his, his soul before, but he can't do it. And he's like, this isn't fair. And so he practices yeah. drawing and he's about as good as uh, he was after getting some practice being a tattoo artist. And this, this talks, this, this lines up really well with what you and I talked about last week about like, he can still get better at art, capital a art, but It'll, he has to progress at the rate of a maybe talented human, but not this but he, mutant savant who can go from zero to hero in an afternoon. Yes, although he does point out that, or it's pointed out in the text that art was actually a bad test because when he does the test, he's like, "This is this is better than what I recall ever doing on Earth." And Fen was like, "You'd never thought to think of maybe I have some art skills." Turns out he's <laughs> he's piggybacking off of her art skills with symbiosis. That's right. Um, so yeah, art's a bad test, but. Uh, you know, if she's really good at art, then he's already a good tattoo mage. So, um, Hey, good point, man. And whatever, uh, th this is just, oh, they do. I was going to say this would be, this is a shitty one way street, but this is a two way street. I mean, I don't know what the feedback cycle looks like, but if, you know, um, Amaryllis has a 20 in art and Fen has a 30 in art, does June get uh 15? Cause that's higher. Or does it combine theirs and then give them half of that and it gets a 25? Um, like, I would assume it's just half of whichever one is higher. Because if it's 25, then Amaryllis' goes up because, you know, that the, the combined sum of theirs is higher than hers uh, divided by two, yeah. right? So, um, yeah, it's got to it's got to be some some cap on this. But I'm glad that the that this skill sharing goes both ways, because now they're all just going to be, you know, super awesome together. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, what does work is there he's he's tripped up because like I remember the lessons and I, I don't know why this should matter, but fine. What if I teach you what Volter taught me and then you teach it back to me? Maybe I have to be taught even though I already know it. And 
it works. Yeah. And uh, I, frankly, I really, really didn't think that would work. I would have put money on that not working. And I, I don't get why he's so insistent on keeping, oh, this was a different point, but so we can touch on that in a second. Well, it gets back into his soul. And the first thing he does is notice that level up has gone up. So he scrolls it back down. But uh, I oh, also, we don't know if his uh, perk went away. Um, it, it didn't I believe it did. I would I would expect it to as well. But he's able to uh, shift around his values, which we didn't see him do before level 20. He probably could have, but we don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's true. So, yeah. like, it could just be, yeah, sure, you, you have a level 20 perk in soul magic, but you can't do soul magic, so who cares where the perk sticks around? But right. uh, maybe he'll clarify that for his next chapter. Um, yeah. Did you think that would work? What the hell's going on with this? <laughs> I, I No, I didn't think that would work, but, like... I don't know. I I guess he just has to relearn it in a different way so he can't cheese it too much and he's eventually going to run out of ways to relearn it and that sucks. But at least he knows now that he has to re- relearn it in a different way. How do you do that with one-handed weapons? Uh, Well, he learned it with swords before. Maybe like next time he has to learn it with clubs or something. That'd be so Maces. weird. Yeah, or, that would. You know, may- maybe that one is different than something that you learn through a lesson like blood magic right because mm-hmm. you, you get better at fighting with swords by fighting with swords yeah. it's not like you're you're taught the principles uh through this tortured metaphor and then suddenly you can fight with a sword um, yeah but the skill isn't in swords it's in one-handed weapons yeah i'm just thinking it would be super weird because a sword is a one-handed weapon Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. because he, he wasn't taught it through metaphor or through some lesson. He just learned it by by doing. I don't know. Right. Maybe we'll run that test, but maybe trying to test that would be stupid and reckless of him and he shouldn't do it. So um, yeah. certainly not unless he can reliably level things back up and put those points somewhere else. Yeah. You know, if he can unlock um, the the essence of revision magic or something and he can just ditch all of his skills in some pointless thing that I mean he did a lot of his pointless stuff when he rerolled his sheet but I mean so I joked about uh in my in my notes that they they're unarmored in town and they could just like level up unarmored by punching each other presumably <laughs> uh or he could build a, a batting cage like in Happy Gilmore and just stand there and get hit with baseballs um mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't see why that's not an option so you know if, if it turns out to be super easy to cheese training on something then he could just he could just lather, rinse, repeat, and level up all the, all those other skills. Since that obviously won't work because the DM is just in, we can know a priori that the DM would never let anything easy happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, or or if it did work, you know, oh yes, it, it works if you use the any blade because it's all kinds of one handed weapons or something. Then like then then suddenly it just gets excluded, right? <laughs> like oh man, the, I could see it being that in, that intense, but. I don't know. Um, I don't have much else on that other than I was very surprised. And uh, and the reason they're doing all this is that so uh, he can get soul magic back to at least one, and then he can use twin souls to go check on Amaryllis's uh, soul, make sure she hasn't been fucked with. And he does that, and she's clear. That's right. Yeah, I forgot. I mean, I figured they were doing it just for the, the pr- pragmatic reason of not wanting him to be a total noob at soul magic when they get back to the farmhouse, but you're right. They were doing it to check on Amaryllis. And as best as he can tell through however long he spent in there, like half an hour, uh, I think she slaps him 
And he's like, hold on, I need, I need another minute. And it's like, all right, I'll slap you again. Looking forward to it. And mm-hmm. um, just a cute, I mean, you know, uh, not not saying that um, domestic violence domestic is Domestic violence is tight. But <laughs> yeah. their version of it is adorable. Yeah. So, I mean, she hits him and she's like, you were taking a really fucking long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, all right, just slap me if it's like 10 minutes. And looking forward to it. Like, that's that's that, yeah. you know. Anyway, yeah, Emerilis is yeah. good. So they, they finish driving back. Um to meet up with them and he gives a brief recap of what happened he analyzes ad nauseum about his lie here yeah and it's like i don't know why and maybe we both feel the same way and neither of us have any insight but i have no idea why he feels bad about it yeah we both pulled out like why does he go on for this many paragraphs about uh, the lie that he told because it was totally justified lie they think grack is compromised and um i think that maybe um it's because the goodly affliction is still got like some some leftover effects it's draining away and so he's still you know it's still affecting him and that he feels really guilty about this lie to his friend i don't know that that was my guess that checks out i mean i I, his other thing is that he he lied on impulse on the spot and he's like hold on i justified a bunch of bad shit to myself before is this like that and yeah I maybe it's because I had already pre-committed to being completely dishonest as I need to be with Grack. And then once I've cleared him and we know he's good, then you say, Hey buddy, I'm sorry. Here's a beer. Let's, let's chat. And you understand why I had to be dishonest with you. Right. He'd be like, of course I would have been twice as dishonest with you guys. Like, yeah, I'd have been mad if you had told me the truth. Right. So honestly, this is, this is just friendship, you know? I mean, yeah. So I think it's because I already pre-committed to lying to Grack for as long as it takes during the time that it takes to get him uh, uncompromised that this this didn't even register on my radar as a possibly bad thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I like your thing of he's he's still got some goodliness running through him and he's worried about that. But um, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go ahead. So uh, there's there's also a thing where he talks about the voting dynamics, or he thinks about the voting dynamics anyway, uh, if they're bringing Valencia into the group. And uh, Fen was worried that the voting block would form against her with him and Amaryllis, because, you know, she thought him and Amaryllis were going to hook up. And he notices that, like, even though that part wasn't true, like, at this point, it seems like Fen is basically going to vote his way because now they're an item. And it looks like Valencia is always just going to do whatever June does because she's got like big old, you know, notice me senpai June heart <laughs> eyes. <laughs> and so the effectively June has three votes in any in any vote thing that comes up. And uh, that I, I can foresee I see this being a problem in the future. And I can't wait to see what kind of group clash dynamics are going to happen because of it. I'm curious. I, I don't quite have any sort of of. I'm not nearly as confident. I mean, Amarilla seems to have her own drives. She It seems like she will demur a bit when June is insistent on something. But like, because she's trying, I think, just to keep in her in his good graces because he knew she she knows that he was really mad at her when she wasn't fully forthcoming about Uther being possibly dream skewered. And again, I feel like he was way overreacting there. But she's like, well, I don't want to lose my connection to this god man. So I'm going to try and placate him. But he wanted to bail on the the Larkspur fight. Um, I think he at least has talked about killing uh, Folliter, and that hasn't gone down yet. Maybe it will next chapter, or they'll try. Um, I don't think he's going to be so easy as just to put a bullet between his eyes. But uh, 
I don't know. I also suspect that Val, for the first time in her life, feels empowered and might have the might have things that she wants to do. You know, yeah. th- there's definitely probably some notice me senpai stuff, but now that that was before she tamed her demons, right? Uh, That's a good point. Yeah, I, I I don't know if like, hey, all right, all right, Val, we're thinking, do we want to go off and you know reclaim the minds of Moria as a base, or do we want to go off and uh, go to the school of dream skewer? She's like fuck that. There's, you know, I want to go kick this person's ass who wronged me. Well, I guess she doesn't have a backstory because it was all in that prison. But like, I think that she might have her own goals of like, no, forget you guys, like your stuff. I want to do my thing. But you're right. She's level 14 loyalty. There's, I'm curious where that'll be. Anyway, there was a, a nice moment too. Um, they're going to take the the bite, the soul cycle back to the, the barn, um, which we did get a question answered actually from early on in the story. There was a, in the first I guess not first chapter when they're first taking off in the soul cycle and it's going that, you know, 12 mile an hour clip or whatever. We're like, Oh, these things aren't that cool. I mean, I guess it beats a bicycle, but sure. Um, it turns out that the more souls, the more power. And so yeah. it goes, this, this thing goes really fast and they didn't bring a soul helmet or soul elbow pads. So if they crash their soul bicycle, <laughs> their soul motorcycle, they're going to get hurt. But yeah, uh, I did think it'd be really souls funny. Are completely unprotected. Yeah. I thought it'd be really funny if they like got seriously injured due to some mundane thing, like a bike crash, but uh, that wasn't mm. what I was wanting to pull out here. Uh, so they're riding back. Um, Fen and Grack are in the glove on oxygen tanks because this is a two-seater. June and Amaryllis are riding back, just like they did on their first night on air. Fun callback. And June is catching Amaryllis up on like the, um, oh yeah, this is what happened with uh, with Valencia. And um, I think Grack is compromised. And she said, you had cause to believe he's compromised and sent me off with him anyway? And she didn't seem angry. She was just curious. And he says, I know you could handle yourself. I knew that you would be on guard either way. And you wouldn't let yourself slip up just because it was uncertainty rather than concrete evidence. You're the most competent person I've ever met. And I was surprised I didn't earn a loyalty bump. But more so than that, I thought that was just like a really kind thing for him to say to Amaryllis because he knows that she's been like trying really hard to stay relevant and, and worthy of being in this group. Oh yeah, and so for him, yeah, good point. For you know, I this just this might have swayed some of that concern with her when he's like, "No, you, are you kidding? You're crazy competent. I didn't, I didn't tell you because I wasn't worried. You know, like mm-hmm. um, that just sounds like a, and it's it's also really nice that it's it's not him just blowing smoke, right? I think he actually believes this, so it's not, yeah, yeah, he's not being nice for the sake of nice. Uh, he's just he's telling her a really nice fact. So yeah, anyway, I liked that. That is really cool. Um, okay. That's, I think actually that's, uh, everything I got the, uh, at the very end, they, it, it ends with the line, uh, when they got back, Felter was waiting for them. Yeah. So this, we, we, I'm about at my stamina limit and we're, we're closing in on three yeah. hours, but I am curious, you know, okay. what, what, I don't know what thoughts you, you're, you can remember having back in the day, but. I, I'm pretty sure Falter was behind him getting captured or g- getting interrogated here. I it, also think that. It would be weird if it was some new character. Um, mm-hmm. I liked his thinking, his considering the idea that it might be the the still mage or whatever from Amon's Tower, whoever le- whoever they left alive because they didn't see. Um, like, that would be fun, but such a stretch. And how would that guy know that he's a soul mage? So Falter's, exactly. Falter's the guy. And then the question is, to what end? And... My guess is that Falter knew it was possible to reduce a skill to zero. He knew what would happen if a soul mage is reported going into this place. How he knew that actually is a bit of a mystery because he's been uh, out of the, out of the scene for a few hundred years. But um, 
I, I guess I'm thinking that this was a plot by Volosir to get June to become not a soul mage anymore. He's like, okay, this, this guy is getting too strong too fast. Fuck this. Yeah, that sounds entirely reasonable. Did, did you have any guesses that you can separate from foreknowledge? So, I mean, my guess at this point was that there's going to be some kind of confrontation coming down. And probably after this, they're going to find some way to keep Falter, like, maybe caged up in the same cage that he had a Val in before. Or, like, or execute his goons or send them away or something. Because, like, there, there's there's going to be some kind of clash of, of wills, at the very least. And uh, and I was really excited to see what was going to happen. Um, yeah, I totally thought that Valater was behind it. And, like, I hadn't thought too hard as to what his goal was that I, I hadn't thought to the whole point of like oh he knew that soul mages can reduce their magic to zero he knows that he'll be taken into custody and the only way to not get executed is to scrub soul magic out of him all i thought was that like yeah falter was fucking with him and fuck that guy and now there's going to be some some kind of reckoning i guess if he's trying to just take june out this wouldn't be a bad bad try at doing that either um yeah it's unclear maybe, maybe he just sees like you know what this guy reminds me of the stories about Uther Pendrag. That guy made life really weird for a lot of people, especially people like me. I'm not down with another one of those. I'm going to try and kill this guy. And maybe, maybe it's just that simple. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he's done with his science experiment of watching this kid or if he, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he wanted to get him killed, but I, I definitely figured that he was behind it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll find out. And We'll finally, I, this is my prediction for next chapter or next reading. We're going to figure out if Grack is compromised or not. Because if there's a showdown, which this, this, this line sounds like a showdown, you know, it's dark Falter standing there. I'm assuming with his, with his, uh, with his goons, um, silhouetted by the house. Like this looks like showdown yeah. time to me. So yeah. if Grack walks over to join Falter when they all get out, he's like, aha, I was double agent. And we're like, yeah, dude, we thought so. Um, yeah. it's not going to be quite like that, but it would, it might be some trying to attack from behind, but they're too ready for that. So we will see at this point where, where Grack is, I think. Yep. All right. Absolutely. Well, All what point well, actually will we be at? Yeah. We will be reading chapter 72 through 76, which is five chapters for next time. Uh, before you get too excited, one of the chapters is basically a non-chapter where there won't be much of anything to talk about. But on the other hand, one of the chapters is also really long and there will be more things to talk about. So it's basically like reading four and a half to five chapters, even though one of the chapters doesn't quite count. I'm super into it. Yes. So 72 through 76. And those are, for those people who don't have the numbers, uh, Tripatrite. Tripatrite talks. Tri that's tripartite. Tripartite. Oh, oh, okay. I know that word. Okay. Tripartite talks. Uh, 73, Amaryllis. Ooh. 74, <laughs> 74, the mouth of a long river. 75, stats for nerds. And 76, date night. I mean, sure, great romance. But this, this Amaryllis chapter, this might yeah. be the throwaway chapter you're talking about. Maybe we're going to get an Amaryllis POV. Maybe it's going to be a deep dive into her soul at June's behest. Maybe not at, or excuse me, at her request. Maybe she'll ask June to dig into her soul. Maybe she won't ask and he'll do it anyway. Ooh, we got a lot of things to look at here. All right. I'm, I, I will render one more prediction. Uh, mm. Whatever chapter you said, we won't have a lot to talk about. I bet I find something to talk about there. Oh, I'm sure you will. <laughs> Challenge accepted, sir. 
<laughs> all righty all right well all right well uh we get um patreon if you don't want to do that rank us on uh itunes or wherever you hear this it helps get the word out uh you guys are great and steven what's the line about how much we love uh alexander wales yeah uh remember to throw some cash his way too and support him uh and thanks again to alexander this is his game we're just playing it exactly thank you for joining us everybody we'll see you all next week. sounds like a plan bye